Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your Game Master. And today we have the distinct pleasure of offering you a first look at Phoenix Dawn Command. For those who have better things to do with their lives than look for new RPGs all day, Phoenix is a card-based dark fantasy game where players take on the role of mythical guardians called Phoenixes. Heroes that fight, die, and get reborn to defend their realm. And while this sounds like a familiar setup, Phoenix offers several fascinating twists on the standard fantasy formula, the most prominent of which is the leveling system. In Phoenix, the only way to advance your character is to die and get reborn, as a stronger version of yourself. Death is a major part of almost every game, but usually it's confined to the Damoclesian prospect of being a single roll away from having to roll up a new character, a la OSR, or the 3.5 revolving door of mortality. In Phoenix, death becomes a strategic tool for story and gameplay. While death makes you stronger, Phoenixes only have seven lives before their service is complete. If a player is too eager to trade life for power, they may find themselves unable to return and find that they literally wasted their lives. Also, the manner of a character's death affects what powers they have access to during advancement. While there are no classes, certain abilities depend on having experienced specific types of death. There is so much wonderful material in Phoenix, and I could never explain it all. Thankfully, I don't have to. Keith Baker, designer of Phoenix, and beloved gaming material like the Eberron role-playing setting for Dungeons & Dragons and Gloom was kind enough to sit down with us to run Phoenix and show us how it works. Fair warning, this was a beta version of Phoenix that we played, and while broad strokes are the same, there are some mechanical details that have changed. The final product is much more streamlined. In other words, this show will give you a good idea of the game, but the final product, which is on Kickstarter now, is even better, which is frankly pretty insane. By the time you hear this, Phoenix will already have my money, so if you want to play, follow the link in the show notes, or look up Phoenix Dawn Command on Kickstarter. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, let's meet our party for this week. First up, we have game designer. You recognize him from the dark episodes. Uh, Will Hindmarch, welcome to One Shot. Thanks, James. It's great to be back. Yeah. Um, what, what, what have you been working on in the meantime? I've been working on Dark an awful lot in the meantime, actually. Dark and uh, Storium still. I was working on for quite a little while, and uh, I'm shifting gears back to Dark full-time right now. Awesome. I'm... I, I... Definitely can't wait for Dark. If you guys have not listened to the Dark episode yet, you should. I have had, probably since you come on the episode, I've had two or three like really powerful urges to create little campaigns and sessions in Dark. So, oh great! I'm definitely, I'm definitely excited for awesome. more coming out of that Kickstarter. Um, so we don't have a character yet for you to play because we're actually going to be deciding that as part of the game. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you about, Will, what is a character death that you had in another role-playing system that, uh, you know, really stuck with you? You know, it's interesting. I was, I was thinking about this, and the, uh, the problem that I have is that I run games so much more often than I play them. Mm-hmm. And so I lose characters all, an awful lot because they're NPCs or they're monsters or what have you. And so they, they kind of just go off my back, right? Like, you know, it's not a big deal. But the one that comes to mind for me was actually a D&D character who, very befitting the game we're about to play, was dead at character creation 
And his whole thing was that he became a cleric after he found out his god had been killed right before him. Oh, man. And he walked back to the real world to try again. And so his his death was in character creation. Oh, very and cool. And it defined his whole character. Well, I think that's actually a very that's a very important lesson that everybody listening should learn. Uh, when you kill our NPCs, you make your DM sad. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Just, just think about that, players. Uh, let's move on to a familiar voice, uh, for all of you, certainly. Cat Murphy. Hello, James Tomato. Welcome to the show. Thank you for saying my entire name. Well, thank you for, you know, introducing me as awkwardly as you normally do. No, no that is a very natural introduction. <laughs> I did a great job. Good job, me. Uh, Kat, let's, let's learn about a character that, uh, you lost during play. So yeah, thinking about it, I definitely have never lost a character that I was playing. That's, uh, I've had, I've had in character deaths that resulted in like immediate resurrection. So no, that's never happened to me. However, I got to witness something really cool once, which is, uh, a character died and then someone ca- in proper D&D, mm-hmm. someone cast. Gentle repose? No, not gentle repose. The one where you have to roll on the table to see what, what reincarnation. Reincarnation. Yeah. So they cast a reincarnation and the person actually rolled an 100, which means that you get to pick. Or what I think that the DM, the DM gets, gets to pick. Dealer's choice. Um, and I, I, the DM really should have brought her back as a dragon because it would have been fitting, and he didn't, Sam. But uh, but it was a really cool moment because you know it's how often do you see a one hundred one hundred rolled? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. The only other time I saw one hundred rolled that ended all racism. It did. It ended all racism. <laughs> so pretty good job rolling one hundred. And you would think that reincarnation was your chance to end all racism. Yeah, right there. <laughs> definitely. Ah, uh, so many missed opportunities. Um. Our next next up is another familiar voice, uh, JPC. Hello, James. <laughs> See, that's how you do it. Really awkward. Yeah, and that's not a familiar voice either. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really sad that you haven't been getting my "Go fuck off and die" text. <laughs> I really uh, need you to do that. James has me in his phone as my girlfriend, and no, I get all the texts that are supposed to go to his girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> it's confusing. It makes sense. I uh, read that text that said like, "You are so cute," and I was like. I am pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, have you ever lost a character? You know, um, I, I guess we're, we'll call it me losing a character. When I was like 14, no, I was like 13. It was mm. my first time when I played uh, D&D. We played 3.5, and I was playing with my older brother and his friends who oh God, were about to go off to college. Yeah. And uh, I built a, sorcer- a sorcerer, and I did it wrong. So, like, my bonus spells and my spells per day, I added my charisma bonus to both of them. Or so- I had, like, way too many spells. Uh, I did not know what I was doing. Um, but they went off to college and they kept playing that campaign. So my character never really died, but it just like stopped being an integral part of that world. So wait, did they keep it in the party? Or did they? Yeah, the party play, like... stayed together. Except... You became the torchbearer. Uh, well, no, I think that they just like left me in a town at some point. So then they they come home for like Christmas and they'd be like, "Oh, here you are again." Like, yeah, we just like added some stuff to your sheet, and and then I would still get to play. It was still very cool that they would they would let me play when I was you know fourteen and they were all off in college yeah that is pretty cool uh or they were super nerdy oh no yeah it was all of those things <laughs> uh ray ray zaphoid was his name i'll miss him terribly wow wow 
so let's let's move on to our special guest for this week. Uh, not that any of you are not special, but you're not. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> They're special. Yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, welcome, Keith Baker, to the program. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, so let's learn a little bit more about Phoenix. Uh this is the game that we're going to be playing. You might know Keith from his other work on Over the Edge or Eberron. It, you know, it's a little thing that you may have heard of. He also made Gloom. He also made Gloom. Yeah, he's well, he's made lots of great uh, board games and card games, but let's focus on role-playing because it's about <laughs> role-playing. I look at this as my sort of bridge between Gloom and Eberron in that it is a fantasy role-playing game, and yet it is also a card game in which... At a certain level, you want your character to die. Well, if the goal was to sell this game, I think that phrase just did it. <laughs> um, yeah, the bridge between Gloom and Eberron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Phoenix is a role-playing game. It's a card-based role-playing game. So instead of using dice or, for that matter, character sheets, uh, your character is represented by your deck of cards, and those determine both what you can do and your success or failure as you take actions. Um, the sort of defining thing about Phoenix that makes it interesting is that death, character death, is actually part of the game. It is basically your leveling mechanic. It is how characters get better. When you die, you come back stronger than you were before because you were a Phoenix. However, you can only come back seven times. So each death makes you stronger, but it also brings you closer to the edge of the end of the road. And it basically means, you know, both death and failure can be options within the game. Or I say failure, also sacrifice. You know, that this is a game in which heroic sacrifice is both often, um, you know, your best answer, but mm -hmm. also an option. That uh, you can be Gandalf holding the bridge against the Balrog because otherwise everyone would die. And so... Um, you know, that's one of the things that makes the game most interesting to me and most different uh, from things that are out there. Definitely. I, I like that uh, death is significant where I feel like there's a point in D&D &D where death is no longer a significant event. Death is still significant in this game, but it's also not the end of your character. What I feel with a lot of role playing is you sort of have two options. You have death become insignificant, which is once we get to a certain level of raised dead and resurrection, it really makes no difference at all. Or you have the game in which death basically is the end of the story. And for that reason, it's not really an option. Mm -hmm. You know, we aren't really designing this with the idea that you will, will fail because then it would all be over and who really wants that? Mm -hmm. Whereas with Phoenix, part of the point is because Death is an option. Um, we, you know, I can design a mission and basically say, I don't know if you're going to succeed in this or not. You know, I'm designing it with the idea in the long-term campaign that you could have an optimal success, you could have a pyrrhic victory, and you know, you do succeed, but at a cost, or you could fail completely. And moving forward in the campaign, all of those will have different impacts mm -hmm. on the ongoing story. And, you know, as I say, in a lot of systems, well, if you fail completely, that's it. You know, right. we're just stopping there. And here, having that be a thing is part of what will make people's stories uniquely different. As uh, That ability to play the, the fallout from that is, is exactly. really exciting. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, let's uh, move forward with it. I believe we're now going to select characters. Certainly. Well, I'm going to start with just a little intro to the oh, world and the game itself. Yeah. So... 
You were born in the Pyrian Empire, a prosperous nation whose dominion stretches across the known world. The world isn't that different from Rome in the first century AD. The sword rules the battlefield, the horse rules the road, and if you want to send a message to someone far away, you're going to have to find someone to take it there for you. While there is magic in this world, it is powerful and dangerous, and it has largely been suppressed by the Empire. It's not part of everyday life. The Empire itself has been prosperous and peaceful for centuries. At least it was until three years ago. That was when the blight began, a wave of terror that has shaken the very foundations of the Empire. We have faced all manner of supernatural horrors. Dead soldiers have risen from their graves to prey upon the living. Skin changers and stranger beasts look in the wilds. We've lost entire cities to zombie plagues. Any nightmare you can imagine, there's a good chance you can find it somewhere in the world today. And worst of all, we don't know why this is happening. We don't know if these attacks are somehow connected or if our world is simply falling apart. All we know is that we're at war and we are losing. Mortal soldiers can't defeat the forces of the Blight, and we've lost almost a third of the Empire to these horrors. We have only one hope, and that's you. You are phoenixes. In your first life, you could have been anyone. A soldier, a farmer, a child. But you died a remarkable death, and you were given a chance to return stronger than before. You're imbued with supernatural strength and power, and if you die, you can return again up to a total of seven times. There are a hundred phoenixes in the world today, and all of you are part of an organization called Dawn Command. You are charged with fighting the forces of the Blight and doing your best to protect the innocent and to find out anything you can about why this is happening and how we can turn the tide. Your missions will be dangerous, and you may not survive, and you may not always succeed. Don't be afraid to die. Just make certain that each death has meaning. As a phoenix, you go stronger each time you die. These powers are shaped by your death. The ultimate question is always why you died and what lessons you are learning from your previous life. Phoenixes are divided into six schools, and each school has a different set of powers and role in the game. Each time you die, we'll talk about what sort of death it was. You may draw from multiple schools over the course of the game, but your first death is always the most important. It will provide you with core abilities that will define your character throughout all of your lives. So listen to the following descriptions and think about which school you want to play. The Durant died because they weren't strong enough, and the lesson they learn is to be stronger. The key to the Durant is survival. They are the hardest phoenixes to kill, and they excel at defending others. Durants are also trained in military strategy and leadership. The Durant phoenix is a straightforward warrior but focused on defense as opposed to raw offense. The devoted died for others, and they learn to strengthen and defend their allies. A devoted can use their cards to enhance the actions of others, and they can take away the wounds of allies by taking that damage on themselves, and hopefully giving it away to someone bad in the future. While the devoted's greatest talent is enhancing and defending their allies, the devoted also has the potential to draw on the strength of the entire wing for dramatic actions. In addition, their ability to transfer their wounds to their enemies can make them surprisingly effective in battle. The devoted is a diplomat and a healer and knowledgeable in the ways of spirits. The shrouded died to, due to a secret, either in pursuit of secret knowledge or because a secret was revealed. 
shrouded phoenixes excel at hiding themselves and at revealing hidden things. They are scholars, spies, and assassins, skilled at striking from the shadows and trained in spycraft and lore. Finally, the bitter died in failure. He's angry about it, and he's going to take that out on his enemies. The bitter gets stronger as he is hurt, and he is a powerful and reckless warrior with a talent for berserk rage. Where the durant is often the last to fall, the bitter is frequently the first to fall, but he'll do a lot of damage on the way. Uh, we also have two other schools, Forceful and Elemental, which we are not using in this particular um, demo. But but there are a total of six schools out there. So we have today Durant, Shrouded, Devoted, and Bitter. All right. What calls out to anyone? Cat, I see a smile across your face. No, others first. I'm I'm uh, prone to the devoted after that description. Definitely. Well, grab grab it up. Uh, devoted for Will. Um. I'm, I think I'm going to go with the shepherd, if any people don't mind. Yeah, go for it. Cool. Go then for it. I'm going to nab Elegy. And shepherd is a Durant. Yeah, the Durant, yes. Yes, and I will grab Wolf. The bitter. The bitter. Wolverine. 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 Not a bad approach. And heck, he can go into Berserk Rages. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Phoenixes are divided into units known as wings. A wing can have one phoenix from each school. The wing isn't something that's decided by mortals. You have a mystical connection to one another, and you may have special abilities you can only use on other members of your wing. You may not have known each other in your first lives, but you are bound together now and will serve together for all of your lives to come. After you were reborn, you spent your first few days getting to know one another and learning to work together. So now each of you should take a moment to introduce yourselves to the rest of the wing. Who are you? What do you look like? What do you want to share about your past? All right, so uh, I guess I'll start off. Wolf is a short, hairy man. Uh, he's probably stands at about five four, uh, but he's incredibly like densely built. He has a lot of tattoos on his face, uh, and he also applies makeup to himself in the morning. I uh, I'm basically taking the mask in a different direction. He sort of lives that mask. His face is a human face underneath the tattoos and the makeup, but at the end result is that it looks very disproportionate and alien. It's modeled after a fallen one that he made a deal with. Uh, so his skin looks a little bit too white in certain places, a little bit too dark in other places. Um, and he has, there's an herb that he crushes up every morning, uh, that dilates his pupils, yeah. uh, to, to a point where they actually recede beyond where the whites of your eyes would normally mm. be. So his eyes are all black all the time. Mm. But it gives him excellent night vision. Uh, he is uh, a warm-hearted person once you get to know him. But his exterior personality is very prickly. And he does not take to authority very well. Uh, so Mandrake is a... Uh, you know what I'm picturing actually is Max von Sydow. Or Sydow. Okay, so <laughs> no, nobody. Oh yeah, yeah. nobody really. I, I, no. I, I went drinking with him the other day. Wow. Uh, I, I think from the Tudors is the the Pope, as I recall, he was one of them. Oh, that's uh, that's uh, Jeremy Irons. No, 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 no. Right? <laughs> oh, so you're still oh, no, the Borgias? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Tudor. Oh, is that Mexico? He was one of them. Okay. They went through a bunch. Sexy I think they Tudors. Cook Sexy Tudors. He should be. He should be a Pope. Yeah, I'm pretty Pope-like. Sure um, Popus. Papal. 
Papal? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Popular. Papish. I like Popelix. <laughs> Popular's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so he's not, he's, uh, uh, still at this point, uh, retaining the age that he was when he died the first time. Cause he hasn't kind of reconstructed his self image yet, right? Cause we're on our first live since death, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and so to that extent too, his hands are still essentially frostbitten. Like his fingers are all like purpley, blacky, bruisey in color and stuff. Um, his nose is red and his ears are all withered and kind of, uh, uh, uh you know, f- burnt. Um, uh, and he's got that great, like, um, Gandalf or Saruman kind of voice. He's got a real deep, uh, 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 sonorous voice. He's devoted through and through, right? He's, he's constantly checking in with people and finding out if everyone's all right and, uh, making sure that everybody has what they need. Um, and he kind of does it at his own expense and that he doesn't, yeah, he, he, he hasn't eaten or drank since he returned because he doesn't need to. And it's not something that that food could go to somebody else. So he's sort of, uh, uh, he's very much aware of the fact that he is not living. And that that gives him both a bit of a, a bit of an honorable status, like a benefit over others, but it's also that uh, he has to kind of pay a tithe, as it were, that he has to undo all these habits that he had from living, uh, that he is very conscious of, and and it kind of quietly, I think, probably encourages the other phoenixes to do as well. You know, are you gonna? You're not gonna eat that, are you? <laughs> Don't eat that. Uh, that's the best. <laughs> uh, every adventuring party should have that guy. <laughs> Uh, so I'm playing Elegy. Uh, Elegy was a shadow bar in her, her human life. Um, and they're a group of, uh, travelers. They were kicked out of their homeland and they, um, sort of go around collecting and telling people stories. So she was in charge of one of those operations and took it in, uh, kind of like a modern direction. Um, that's, uh, she would make newsletters that would have uh, factual proof of stories along the way and, like, you know, block print these. Um, and they came to have uh, symbols uh, that the various Shadowvar tribes picked up, indicating this is the truth as approved by the Shadowvar. Um, so uh, she died while on a particularly, you know, a chancy, d- dicey uh, fact-finding ex- uh, expedition. So she's uh, continued this hugely in the next life. Uh, that's she's a little older now than she was when she first started. Very authoritarian. Um, she's a, a beautiful young woman of like twenty five with a short little pixie cut. But she doesn't. But you rarely see her actual face because instead she wears a mask that is that truth symbol. Nice. Um, mm. As she uh, goes around, she's very no-nonsense and cares only about the facts at all given moments, except when she's hearing someone's story, then she becomes a very compassionate person. You actually made Lois Lane the I made question. Lois Lane. <laughs> you made Lois Lane the question! Oh my god, I did! I didn't realize that. <laughs> okay, I want to see that. That I, that I want to read. That's that's a thing that I've been wanting to write for she, years. She has a picture of that on her wall. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's... Yeah. Uh, so I'm playing a shepherd, uh, Commander Shepherd, uh, who is the Jarat. A shepherd was an actual shepherd in his life. Uh, he was an old man who was protecting his flock and was torn apart by a monstrous pack of wolves. He looks exactly the way that he did when he died. Uh, wolf bite marks, claw marks included. Oh, so it looks like a patchwork, like pattern all over his body as these, like, of where these wolves eviscerated him. Everything's the same. He's like an old, frail man. Um, except his eyes are like bright, brilliant white. And they're glowing. And he chose this form um, because he is like uh, uh, wants to champion all of the weak and all of the suffering and show them that just because you're weak and just because you're suffering, you can still be heroic. Um, 
he cares only about um, uh, saving innocents and saving the lives of uh, the people that he died protecting. And after he died, his village um, hunted down the pack of monstrous wolves that uh, killed him. Mm. And they killed the wolves and sewed together like a patchwork cloak out of those wolves. And they <laughs> sent it to him. And so now he wears uh, those the wolves that destroyed his <laughs> mortal frame into awesome. battle. That's great. All right. That's pretty cool. Uh, are we all set to, to get started? I think so. I think so. So there's one thing I should mention before we get started just to identify a couple of key terms. Absolutely. So as phoenixes, um, the Empire itself was originally founded by the First Legion of Phoenixes. And they brought order to uh, to everything. That's ordering quotations, you know, uh you know, they've stamped out uh, dangerous magical practices and things like that. Uh, but basically a point came when people said, we don't really like the idea of being ruled by a small cadre of immortals. And uh, there was a civil war. Really? And <laughs> ultimately the phoenixes stepped down. Um, and that is when they formed on command, but also when they stopped coming back. So back at the end of that war, there were 500 phoenixes. Today, mm. as of three years ago, at the start of the Blight, there were less than 20. You know, and phoenixes were essentially more of a legend than anything else. We're back up to 100 now. However, phoenixes, when they come back, they come from something called the Imperial Flame. Uh, the first one you come out of is in a place called the Grand Airy, in a uh, dormant volcano on the island of Pyre. As they spread out and formed the Empire, they established Ares across the Empire. And an Ares has a flame itself. Um, most of these then became inactive. And so it is only over the recent years that they have started sort of trying to restaff these and relight them. One of the big advantages you have as Phoenixes is that from the Grand Ares, they can transport you through the flame to any active Ares. As I said, normally, the fastest place to get somewhere is to ride a horse. You know, Imperial Legion can't go somewhere quickly. As Phoenixes, we can essentially drop you out where the action is. They can't bring you back, so you have to get back on your own time. Part of what that means is we have 100 Phoenixes, but at any given time, a lot of them are out in the field. You know, we don't have a lot of backup for you. Um, they also have a system of signaling candles that are sort of sympathetically linked to the... Um, uh, the Grand Airy, which again means it is a form of communication that is limited, but it is superior to anything the normal world has access to. So that is one of the big things about Phoenixes is the fact that we can quickly respond to threats as they occur, whereas the Emperor, you know, Empire wouldn't even hear about the danger until it was too late. Um, the thing about this, however, is that this is a magical process. It takes a certain special kind of person to maintain an imperial flame in an area called a flame keeper. And they actually, their life force is linked to the flame. If they are killed, the flame will go out. Uh, and they actually can't leave the area very far. So flame keepers are very important special people. Uh, adepts, a word you may hear, uh, are flame keepers in training. Uh, are flame keepers phoenixes? No, gotcha. flame keepers are, are are mortal, and it's essentially saying again, magic is part of the world. The flame keepers sort of the only sort of approved tradition, but mm. they don't really, they can't throw a fireball or anything like that. Yeah. They can uh, operate, you know, the flames and such. Gotcha. All right. So it has been less than a week since you were reborn as phoenixes. You have spent most of that time learning to work together as a wing and catching up with the current state of the empire and the blight. 
The situation is desperate. And there's no more time for learning. So now you're on duty, waiting for news of the next emergency to come in. The heart of the Grand Airy is the original Imperial Flame, the fire from which the, uh, all phoenixes are first reborn. The chamber that houses the flame is a massive cavern. Dozens of candles line the walls, and adepts scurry about studying the candles and the flame. One figure stands out in this, the Elemental Marshal. Now, marshals are the oldest and most powerful phoenixes of the present day. They are survivors from that civil war that I mentioned before, so they are all at least hundreds of years old. Most of them are on their last lives. Uh, if they die again, they're gone. Uh, and they, most of them have no wings. All the other members of their wings have died. Um, so they possess considerable power, but basically they are more important for their knowledge, and a lot of their powers have sort of a tactical scope. So basically, they maintain things in the Grand Area instead of joining you in the battlefield. In particular, the Elemental Marshal is the one who actually maintains that system of candles that lets us communicate with each other. So that's sort of part of his thing. He is in particular an expert in what's called Ash Sorcery, which is magic that can only be performed using the ashes of phoenixes who have died their final death. So a pretty rare resource. But you can do some pretty amazing things with it. Um, so he maintains the Imperial Flame along with the candles that facilitate communication with the networks of Ares. Now, in the long term, if we were playing a long term campaign, he would be a character we would have an ongoing relationship mm -hmm. with. So I'm going to do something that is not going to be that important today, but just it's something I like to do and, you know, gives you a sense of how things could go, which is rather than just telling you about Elemental Marshal. I would like you to tell me about the Elemental Marshal. So we will start and say, John, is the Elemental Marshal male or female? The Elemental Marshal is male. Okay. Uh, and Good choice, John. James, <laughs> how old is the Marshal? Appearing, you know, I mean, again, oh, the Marshal is hundreds of years old, but yeah. what does he look the like? The form that he manifests in all the time is 50s, I'd say. Mid-50s. Some wrinkles. All right. Uh, Kat, tell me something about him physically that you sort of notice, you know, something physical. Um, something physical. And I'll get one of those from you, too, when you're done. Uh, so he has this wild quality about him mm -hmm. that his eyes are very bright and glinting, and his hair is always kind of moving, that he has a lot of it, and it's always in motion. There's just something uneasy and shaking, shaken about him. How about you? Uh, I'm thinking, given how long he's been a phoenix and that he's on this sort of last run, uh, that every once in a while he gets this thing where, uh, uh, like he leaves, he leaves ashen fingerprints on stuff, whereas mm -hmm. if he's got, he's been handling, you know, ashen wood or burnt mm -hmm. paper or something, and it can't be washed away. So he's always got that kind of high contrast, whorls of ash and flesh colored kind of thing going on in his hands and face and everything. So then the, uh, the next thing is I would like each of you to tell me something that as a character you've either heard, a rumor you've heard about the marshal in the last couple of days you've been here, or something you have personally noticed. So going from physical to more about the character. Kat, what is something you've heard about the marshal? Um... So I heard that the uh, the marshal once like single-handedly held off a battalion of uh, werewolves at this particular location, uh, and it's the only reason that we are able to light up an airy there. 
this is, uh, as I've heard it, the 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 longest, obviously, that the Marshal has ever been alive, but that I heard that he had never before, no one of his lives prior to this one had lasted more than, I don't think it would be a long period of time, but but the standard of a phoenix, but let's say, you know, yeah, 10 days, right? Mm -hmm. So he'd always, he was this constant uh, uh, fight, die, fight, die, fight, die, and then now he's kind of living this first life all over again because it's been going on so long. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the marshal's last death before this reincarnation, which lasted a long time, the legend goes that, uh, he, um, kind of exploded in this brilliant burst of energy nice. and a wave of fire kind of enveloped the entire battlefield, clearing it out. Uh, so he is, he is part of the wing that is legendary for taming the Skavi. They came mm. into my region and his wing is the wing that defeated me and, uh, probably killed a lot of my family. Mm. So I recognize him very well. Now, is he actually the phoenix you personally challenged or not? Um, he He's not the uh, phoenix that I personally challenged, but that was somebody in his wing. And this this guy was which, clearly... Which one? So looking to the schools, which which school was the guy who uh, who actually killed you? Oh, I'm, I'm so uh, up for bitter, this. Well, go on. We We killed each other. Uh, he was bitter, mm-hmm. and he was my mentor as soon oh, as I died. Yes. Fair enough. Yes. All right. Um, <laughs> oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> um, okay. So, so yeah, he, he, he probably, you know, was a little surprised to see you, but all right. All right. That's, that's what you get. Yeah. He's giving you a chance, son. Um, all oh, right. I'll so he's a little it. wild. And so he is, he is always moving. You know, he is always going from candle to candle. There's, uh, again, uh, um, a score of adepts that, you know, are running around doing minor maintenance, but he's constantly, uh, moving from, from flame to flame looking for things. Meanwhile, you are basically standing there. You know, the essential point is you are waiting mm. for, uh, for word to come in so that you can be instantly deployed through the flame to wherever there is trouble. So it's not particularly exciting, you know, for you. You're, Twiddling your thumbs a little. Uh, but, oh, and the uh, marshal's name, by the way, is Cinder. Suddenly, a set of unlit candles flares into life. Uh, and Adeps goes over to study the message, but the elemental marshal is already in motion. Uh, he barks commands at Adeps, who gather around the massive central flame and start performing uh, some sort of ritual. Uh, he studies the candles for about a minute. And then turns to you. Phoenixes! The Blackstone area in southern Scavia has just called in two candles, airy compromised. There's been no further contact, which means it's a dire situation. We'll send you through as soon as the flames are aligned. There is every chance you will be stepping into active combat. Your job is simple. Identify the threat and learn as much about it as you can. Find and protect the flamekeeper. Survive if possible. Now, under these circumstances, really there's very little, you know, you would be wanting to ask him because this is time is of the essence. And part of the point is that he doesn't necessarily know very much. What he knows with those candles, two candles means it is a threat that is uh, calling for at least a full wing of phoenixes. Mm. Area compromise, which was a different candle, means it is a threat against the area itself. And the fact that he has received no further information suggests the area itself is actively uh, under attack and whoever's sending the message 
has not had time to provide more. Normally, it's a sort of they acknowledge receival and uh, then uh, someone will give more information. Um, however, while you don't really have time and such to ask him questions, you yourselves as phoenixes may actually know more about this situation than you do. So do you have questions that you would like to ask me about this before we just send you through the flame and, and yeah. dive in? What would you so, ask me some questions? First question, are are all Aries set up the same? Like logistically, um, are they... They are all similar. They are not all exactly the same because some of them were repurposed okay. uh, from you know existing buildings. You would know that you will be entering in the flame chamber, which will always be sort of in the central, most secure part of the Aries. So, okay. uh, would we know where traditionally the the person that we're trying to protect stays? The Flame Keeper has essentially what amounts to a panic room. Uh You know, it's the sort of when trouble strikes, they basically try and get out of the way because, uh, you know, if they die, the area is lost. Yeah. And so you have a sense of, okay, if the Flame Chamber is here, this is sort of where we need to go. Messages can only be sent by a Flame Keeper or an adept. Mm -hmm. So part of the thing is it could be the Flame Keepers. They're in the Flame Chamber sending the message right now, and you'll find them right away. And that's usually in a peaceful situation when they call for a Phoenix. What would happen is you would go through, and the Flame Keeper would be there. In a compromised situation, ideally, they've run for the panic room, and it's probably an adept who's sending the message. So we know kind of the setup of what this area looks like and once you get there once you get there you will probably be able to uh sort of say oh either this is standard design a or okay this is what i would expect especially uh for shepherd you know again your knowledge of war and such you would you would have the ability to say this is how they would set this particular place up yes gotcha uh, the, the area where this is? Yes. Uh, what was it? This okay. So the area is, Scavi. Uh, Scavi. Yeah. yeah. Is, is Scavia is what it's called. Mm. The people of the Scavi. It's the northernmost province of the empire. It is a place of long nights and longer winters. A land of moors and barren plains. Uh, it has long been home to two cultures. The settled folk who live in the ancient holds and surrounding villages and the nomads who roam the plains. Uh, which is where Wolf came from. Uh, in the past, these nomads were infamous raiders and often ventured south to pillage alone in communities, the heart of the empire. Uh, since the rise of the empire, the nomads have dwindled in number and been held to imperial law. So Wolf used to be a war leader of uh, a band of scabby nomads. Now, in addition, something you particularly know, others would know, uh, in Mandrake, you're pretty familiar with this, and Wolf, you're very familiar with this, uh, what truly characterizes Scavia is a belief in the fallen folk. The ancestral lords of the Holds claim to be changelings descended from the fallen, and the Scavi have a long tradition of bargaining with the fallen. Someone who engages in such deals is referred to as a warlock or witch. Uh, this practice is forbidden under imperial law, but many Scavi families still believe they're sort of tied to ancestral bargains their families have made. Um, further questions? Uh, yeah. How has the blight affected the fallen ones? Uh so, the official stance of the Empire is that the fallen folk are nothing more than myths and superstition, mm-hmm. stuff of campfire tales. According to the stories, the fallen are ancient creatures with great mystical power. They come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Some are cruel and seek to trick or hurt humanity. Others are simply strange. Uh, Scavi warlocks used to make bargains with the fallen and could gain great power as a result. Now... Uh, looking to, again, 
Elegy, you would know through your lore. Mm -hmm. Mandrake, you would know through tradition. Mm -hmm. Wolf, you would know because you were there. Although, again, you know the Fallen is a practical thing. Right. You know, you know more sort of from a broader scope. So what you know is that many scholars believe that the Fallen folk are the last survivors of a previous age of the world. There are relics and ruins in Scavia and other places that sort of hint at ancient lost civilizations. And somehow the Fallen survived by sort of slipping into dusk, a sort of layer of reality that exists between life and death. Uh, this explains the diversity between them. They may actually be different races or species, or they may have simply used very different methods to survive. Um, some of the fallen are cruel and seek to harm or deceive mortals. Others are simply alien. Generally, they seem to need humans to help them come to mm-hmm. our world. Uh, they seem to draw on sort of emotions and belief, which is one reason the Empire has, dis- you know, sort of sought to wipe out knowledge about them because the less you you know or believe in them. Right the harder it is for them to get here. Um, and so, which may have worked because what you guys know is it has been centuries since there has been any absolute confirmed account of an interaction with one of the fallen. Right. So, Wolf, basically the point is we don't know. We don't know. You know, right. what we know is that a lot of the threats we've been encountering are more things like undead or things like that that are definitely not the fallen. Um, anything else? Can I? I'm curious. Uh, uh, I think that since Mandrake froze to death, mm-hmm. uh, uh, delivering supplies, that that although he's not from this land, oh, sure. this is where he died. Okay. Okay. Um, and so his tradition will apply to this a little bit. Like he knows more obviously than I do right. about mm-hmm. about this land. Um, and I'm thinking that if you ask Mandrake, at least his notion is that he was constantly being threatened or lured off the road by what he took to be, you know, witch sure. lights and will-o'-wisps oh, and sure. things of, of the fallen, because he believed. Absolutely. I can't say for sure what they were. They were giving torches in the distance or whatever, but I kept going. Mm-hmm. And this is a point of the, the Scavi even of today. You know, the point is they still all believe in the fallen. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just that we have not had, you know, so that sort of story would be very common. Great. It's just not, you know, we don't absolutely know. No, you know, <clears throat> we have not seen a practicing warlock. For right. a while. But like I said, you still also have a lot of families who say, well, our good fortune comes from the fact that our ancestors <clears throat> made a bargain with the tinker. Um, so, anything else? Mm-hmm. And you asked about Scavia, uh, Scavia in general. Mm-hmm. Were you curious about the specific region or just the... No, I was very curious about the specific region. Okay, so and going and to the specific like... region, which which you may have passed through. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk to that. Uh, Blackstone is a place of moors and barons, most of which lack much strategic or economic importance. It's not close to a major city, uh, but there are a number of small villages in the vicinity. There have been ongoing problems with the bones, which are the skeletal remains of risen soldiers, uh, and those have basically just been raiders who strike in the night. You know, basically uh, war bands like us, your people. Yeah. Uh, well, in fact, they are your, you know, they may not be your specific band, but I mean, they are the risen dead of, uh, you know, your people. Um, but those have been sort of isolated. I mean, there is basically in the south an actual legion of bones that is slowly advancing. Whereas here it has just been, oh, you never know when they might suddenly is, is sort of 
uh, it's scary for people because you never know when they might suddenly uh, an army of uh, you know pack of bones might come suddenly raiding into your village, but it is not a persistent threat. So that's happened a little bit in this area, but they've been isolated incidents. But still, people are afraid and concerned. Uh, Wolf, you actually don't remember all the details, but you do recall. You're like Blackstone. I, you know, you recall that entire region was just shunned. Uh, you know, maybe it was cursed or haunted mm. by the fallen, but you know, in your era, your era, people stayed away from that. Now, that is the extent of common knowledge. However, a number of you may have more esoteric knowledge. You certainly have more. Uh, you are actually, in this case, in a special case because you are from the period. Mm-hmm. We are going to pretend you have a specialty. You know, you have a specialty in Scavi lore. Uh, so either one of you would have a fairly decent chance if you would like to see if you know more specifics about this. We can make what we call a skill spread. Oh, so great! Chance Let's do that. Spread. Let's definitely. So, do that. which one of you would like to do it? Do you want to draw on your Let's, lore? Um, or? actually, so I want to I want to ask questions about bones in general. Sure. After Go ahead. this, oh, oh, okay. So I I died while I was investigating right. bones. So one of the things I want to know about them is, uh, do do they carry on the the behavior of the people that they are risen from? You know, is that what I will give you, especially for purposes of this this thing, is uh, the bones are always the bones of people who fought, among other things, who generally fought the phoenixes. So okay. the, the legions in the south are legions from the Civil War. These are the uh, bones of Scavi raiders who fought uh, the phoenixes before. Uh, they do act seemingly with these skills and knowledge, uh, but there hasn't been any confirmation that they are actually necessarily sentient or if they are just sort of the recorded... Uh, you know, sure. actions. But for example, the bones in the south act with imperial military tradition. Uh, if you see what I'm saying, yeah, you know, they clearly have some degree of the memory of the past. Uh, one further question about them: um, Has have they all been linked to a specific flame or group or flight? I guess, or um, or are there cases where groups of bones? You're like that flight might have interacted with those warriors prior to their deaths, but definitely not these ones. Absolutely. I mean, they're totally different. They're spread. You know, yeah, they're, cool. they're widespread. Cool. So. All right. So who would like to make a skill spread? Uh, definitely I will make a skill spread. Okay. So let us see what you know. So here's how this works. First off, shuffle your deck if you haven't already. Oh, and, it's shuffle. And draw five cards. And all of you, five cards is your default hand. If you don't have it out yet, you can draw five cards, and that way you know sort of what do you have on deck. Except my because you may, is six cards. Yes, so you draw to six. Uh, so you may look at your hand wolf and say, change my mind, you know, I'll pass this to someone else. Now, normally, this kind of spread, so making a spread is how you try to accomplish any action. Mm-hmm. You know, a spread is laying out a number of cards, combining their values, and then the total is compared to the target you're trying to reach. In the case of a skill spread, uh, the default is that you get to play three cards, mm-hmm. and uh, it goes in success is measured in tiers of ten. So, um, basically, under a ten is always going to be a failure. You know, just don't even bother at that point. Ten to nineteen is a sort of marginal skill. This is something anybody could do. You know, it's climbing a tree that's not that hard to climb. Uh, Twenty. To 29 is a competent, you're pretty damn good at climbing, you know, at climbing things. Uh, 30 to 39, exceptional, you know, you're one of the best people we've seen. 
40 to 49 superhuman, you know, this is not something we could imagine a mortal doing, and if you happen to get a 50 or better, that is legendary, <laughs> you know, people will be telling stories about this for time to come. Uh, it is always better to have a higher number than a lower one. It is possible something would take a 25, for example, but basically hitting a different tier is an exponential improvement. So, you know, if you're at 29, well, if you can get it to 30, it's worth doing. Um, so you get to play three cards. Mm -hmm. As uh, the GM, I decide what suit it is. In this case, the suit is definitely intellect. You are trying to remember something. Right. However, you have a specialty in this. Specialty has two effects. First, it gives you a flat plus 10. So you're starting with 10. Oh, cool. Second, uh, depending <coughs> on your school, it lets you use a suit that is uh, possibly not normally aligned with this. So if you look at your specialty card there, what you'll see is when you are doing something with a specialty, you may use strength. So the point of the matter is you don't have intellect, but for this you can use strength. Uh, also, going over your uh, first lessons, one of the things you will note is all of you have a card that says first lesson. One of the first things that card will say is that each of you has the ability, when making a spread, to basically pretend that one of your cards is a particular suit. Right. Mm. So, Wolf and Shepherd, you can always turn one card into Strength. Mandrake, you always turn one card into Grace. Elegy, you always turn one card into Intelligence. Um, intelligence. So, <clears throat> Wolf, basically what we're saying here is you can play up to three Strength cards, but one of those could be a Grace card that you pretend is Strength. Right. Final thing is we also have Traits. So traits are uh, cards that have up at the top, they're in your hand, but up at the top they may have some sort of extra name. So for example, blessed. Yes, you are terrifying. Uh, the deal with those is if you can explain to me how that applies to what you are trying to do. So it's not going to really help you remember stuff that you are terrifying. <laughs> no, I'm so but scary. I've got a great memory. <laughs> right, but if you could then you could add it to the spread regardless of its suit and it wouldn't count towards the limit of three. Oh, so it's always really a bonus. Cool. Furthermore, certain traits either I might give you a bonus. So a lot of times, like if a trait really applies, I might give you an extra five, you know, because, well, that makes sense. You know, you're a lore master, you know, or something like right. that. Um, also, in rarer cases, there may be times where you just have a trait that just makes so much sense that I'm not even going to have you make the spread. You know, you happen to have the perfect trait. So whenever you think, I have a trait that seems like it's relevant here, feel free to stop me and say, well, I'm incredibly, you know, superhumanly perceptive. Does that help me notice that we're about to be attacked? So, so starting now, you get to make a spread of up to three, in your case, strength cards, plus any traits. So I'm going to use two strength cards, a four and a six, to bring it up to 20. Okay. So... Do I drop to five after? Uh, after, yeah, any non-combat action. Basically, the way mm. it works is between combat like this. Always just draw back up to five when you're done. Right. Uh, and in combat, you only draw at the end of your round, which means if you do things on other people's turns, mm. you don't draw. Now, uh, I will just point out, he just hit 20 and was happy with that, so that's good enough. There are a couple of things you can do to improve a spread. The first is play traits. As we mm -hmm. just discussed. The second, uh, we didn't really go over what you have saying out in front uh, of you. Yes. Uh, I'm going to just start with these and we'll finish the rest after the spread. You have these little beads called sparks. Sparks are essentially your mystical sort of well of energy. Uh, 
and you use them to power some of your supernatural abilities. Uh, but you can also, whenever you make a spread, just one-to-one burn sparks to add to your spread. So that's where I'm at 29. Well, I can burn a spark to make it 30. Okay. Um, in the other thing that we have at this particular table is that Mandrake mm-hmm. has the ability to strengthen uh, others. And basically, you may discard one card from your hand to add either the value of the card or your rank plus one. Rank is the number of lives you've, you know, as a phoenix you've had. So in your case, two is the maximum bonus you can give. Right. But again, if he's at a 28, that two can make all the difference. Um, since he's flat at a 20, that's not really a thing worth doing at this point. Right. But it is an important thing to know. And when you do that, by the way, for you, what is that, how does that manifest? What are you doing to strengthen people? Uh, I'm thinking, uh, this is funny. I was thinking about this actually uh, uh, as soon as I saw the first lesson here. Um, I think it's right now because it's left over from his first life. It's it's seemingly very mundane, but I think it's going to get more grandiose as I mm-hmm. go on. So mm-hmm. it starts off that it's just encouragement, that it's just yeah. a hand on the shoulder it. and a whisper of advice, or and mm-hmm. calling somebody you know, a uh, 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 youngster or young man or young woman <laughs> or whatever it is, because he he still Mandrake still thinks of himself as being like you know the seventies that he was when he died, mm-hmm. um, even though he's you know, presumably wanted to be much older than that. All right. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't, a 20 doesn't really give you much more information than you had. Mm. You definitely remember uh, that there was a lingering evil, that it was people shunned this place because basically they would die if they went there. You assume that that is probably why the phoenixes, why there's an area here, is the phoenixes must have cleared it after, in fact, I mean, you may have even heard in your time Oh, Phoenix has claimed Blackstone and have set up one of their bases there. Good. You know, so <laughs> your understanding is they probably were cleansing it of whatever was there. Now, I'll just ask, Elegy, he's got a 20. Do you want to try and do better than that? In uh, your yes, case, would you would use intellect. Right. And you also have a plus 10 because you have the more specialty, which um, this definitely is. And I can substitute anyone in as an intellect Correct. card, so I can do up to three. And you can then do up to three plus traits. Plus traits, traits again. If you can justify the trait, then it doesn't count against your your card limit. Gotcha. So I'm going to put down uh, two straight intellect, and then transform a grace into an intellect. Okay. So you're sitting on a 19 on the table right. plus 10 for your specialty gets you to a. Uh, 29, so then before you spend a spark. Got it. Would you care to help her out? Just Because <laughs> your sparks are sure, unli- they're, uh, they're limited they're resource. Limited. And as a key point, when you run out of sparks, you die. Great. I, I Good to know. Oh, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah. When you run out of cards, though, you just reshuffle. That is absolutely correct. There's so no, there's really no play as many cards as you can play. Gotcha. Uh, but, and we'll come back to the sparks being, being you die. But yes, if, if all you're looking for is a point, hopefully, uh, uh, Mandrake now, does your you ability out. you get to add the card value to the to hers or just yes, but to a maximum of two to a maximum? Uh, of two. Oh, there's one other way I forgot to mention that people can help if you have a trait in your hand that seems to perfectly apply to this situation in a way that you could help. This is how you aid others. Oh, so you can't, for example, if she is the trait sneaky, mm. she can't make you sneaky. 
But if she could see some way that her doing something sneaky would help you with what you're trying to do, she can add that trait to your... Does that discard the card? It does discard the card. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Uh, Um, So, I mean, it's always helping other people always comes with a cost. Right. Uh, but in your case, this is life lesson. you can yeah. basically toss anything and remember, <laughs> remember you're going to draw back. So just basically pick the card you like the least. and uh, or you I don't have a card I like the least right well, now. I feel pretty good okay, so. in that case, have her spend the spark. So if, you, if uh, you'll throw one spark away. Sure, I guess I will. All right. It's a one shot. It's okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, yeah. So and not, you... It'll be, one of us should probably die at some point. Right. Yes. <laughs> probably James. Uh, all right. Uh, so Elegy... Mm-hmm. When Wolf sort of says, I remember there was some, you know, some ancient evil the here. Region's bad you news. do remember a specific story, and as you relay this, you do remember it as well. You're, you're like, well, I, I think I recall something, and that's, and, and it sort of is clicking together. Uh, you remember a specific story about the region. Long ago, a Scavi war leader bargained with a fallen prince known as the Harvester of Fear. <laughs> the Harvester was supposed to wipe out a rival clan. Uh, he pulled their fears from their minds and unleashed them into the world. And those terrors killed the clan. Uh, went on to kill the foolish warrior who'd made the bargain, uh, and along with all his people. Uh, and those fears lingered, preying on anyone who ventured into the moors. Thus the region was shunned until the phoenixes of the empire defeated the harvester and cleared the area. So, yeah, you do recall, I mean, that was the thing, is it was just nobody would go through Oh, that yeah, place. I met that guy. <laughs> yep. He was not smart. I mean, I wasn't much smarter, but he was really not smart. You always make sure you have a little clause in there for, and I'm not dying in this, in this bargain, right? He once bet his best warrior in a card game the night before a battle. <laughs> he bet a warrior. <laughs> All right. Uh, any more questions? Frankly, I think you've gotten yeah, most I mean, everything. My, my only question would be that uh, I think that um, Shepard has spent a considerable amount of time kind of studying the blight and where it's affecting. Are there any specific instances of anything else that the blight uh, is blight-related that's right. happening in this region? As, as I say, the only thing we know of is sporadic bone incursions. Okay. Of course, it is the nature of the blight that it can always just manifest unexpectedly uh, in any place. Sure. But the known encounters have been bones. But that has certainly shaken the people because they are, unlike the armies in the south, they are unpredictable and they do just strike without warning and disappear. Um, so the issue here is that we are going to send you to that area through the flame. We can send you through. We can't bring you back. Um, once you get a sense of the situation, uh, both Elegy and Mandrake, you are both also trained to send messages through the candle, so you oh, can cool. send, That's really cool. among other things, just if you secure the area, you immediately want to say, hey, we made it, you know, there's there. But um, the other thing is you can only go through one at a time. So what I want you to do is to decide who's going in in what order. You each have your card with your school on it. I want you to lay those out on the table in the order you're going through. I'm going first. All right. Starting with Wolf. Then I will go second because I can hide as soon as he makes it. That is correct. I will go third. All right. And I will go last. Okay. So we are heading in. I'm going to put a little separation between the people who are in and the people who are out. Um, so Wolf... 
transition is not unlike being burnt alive. There is a period of terrible pain, uh, and everything goes black, but then the pain recedes, and you find yourself elsewhere. So it's momentarily disorienting. Story of my life. Uh, details come together. You've stepped out of a bonfire, a smaller version of the Imperial Flame Umpire. Uh, weapons and armor hang from one wall, ready to meet the needs of reborn phoenixes. Um... There are a few stuffed beasts against the opposite wall, trophies of past hunts. And in the center of the room, there is a man in the robes of an adept being choked by a hideous figure. The enemy is armored in the manner of a knight, but he clearly isn't human. His proportions are all wrong. His forearms are too long, and his spine is stretched and curved. His armor is forged from blackened steel and stamped with gleaming runes. Despite the bulk of the armor... This Dread Knight's movement is fluid and assured. So, as you can see, we are roughly laying out positions uh, using the cards here. I'm going to go ahead and let's talk about what we have on the table. So, you each have five health levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what these are, these are your health levels. This represents your physical uh, sort of power. When one of these is flipped over, it becomes a wound. And again, in Phoenix, wounds are, are you know reflect a serious injury. This isn't just oh casual low. I'm just getting tired from the fight. This means you know two wounds is enough to pretty much kill any human. Okay, gotcha. Uh, it is simply that you are capable of sustaining a amount of damage uh, beyond what any human could take. Um, you run out of wounds and, you know, of health levels, you die. Then you have your sparks. Your sparks are your mystical energy. You run out of sparks, you die. Uh, you have your lessons. Your lessons are your abilities that you can use all the time. And then within your hand, some of your action cards, most of the action cards are a value and a suit. I am a seven of grace. Some action cards have a trait on them that, again, let you use them in special circumstances. And then a few also have, usually ones that are traits, also have an ability. It is a special thing that sometimes is something you do with it on its own. Other times are when you use it in a spread, it either adds something or you can burn a spark to add a special effect. So basically, those are situational. You can only use them if you have them, as opposed to your lessons, which are always available. Now, looking to the creatures uh, that we have here, flip one around, the sparks that I have placed on them represent their health levels. This is how many wounds they can take before they die. And you see two numbers. The first is defense. And basically, if you are trying to make an attack, you have to get that number just to hit it at all. Uh, and then the second number is endurance, and that is how many points of damage it takes to actually take one of these away. Okay. You oh, round okay. down, except for Wolf, who rounds up because his damage is brutal. So that number right now is six on the Dread Knight. If we hit six, do we get to take one away, or do we have to hit seven? I uh, know you hit six. Okay. So in other words, the, the Dread Knight has a defense of eight and an endurance of six. So okay. eight, you hit him. Fourteen, you actually wound him. Okay. And then 20, you wound him twice. Got gotcha. It. Oh, I see. Uh, but as I say, Wolf, because his damage is so brutal, actually would be a 9 is all he needs to hurt him once. 
and a 15 would be all he needs to hurt him twice because he's rounding up. To and in Phoenix, one. all of this information is knowledge that we have. Like we yes. know it takes a 20 to do him two damage. That is exactly correct. Gotcha. Um, okay. So, uh, so Wolf, you have jumped onto the scene. Here is now how a turn works. Let's go through a yeah. round of combat. The first thing you do is that you choose your combat style. That is a lesson. Each of you only has one, but in the future, as your character, you know, became more powerful, you could have choices, and you would basically, first thing you do is say, what's my combat style, and that sticks with you till the start of your next turn. Your combat style, if you look at it, tells you what suit and how many cards you can play when you are making an attack. Mm. Now, just like with skill spreads, things like traits, sparks, Help from Mandrake. You know, those all add on. Mm. But basically, for you, your base limit is you play strength and you can play up to two cards. Now, a couple more things. Uh, just to walk through it. As Wolf, you have the option at the start of your round to become enraged. Would you like to become enraged? Uh, I believe I would. All right. <laughs> so we're going to throw this down to remind us of that. When you are enraged... You may play an extra card in any attack spread. So you may play up to three cards, but you may only play one less in your defense spread. So your defense spread is down to a single oh, card. interesting. Hmm. Do you want to do that? You know what? I don't think I need to be enraged right now. Okay, well, that's good. Now, <laughs> I, I have a question as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you said combat style, is my combat style attack, strength, two cards, defense, grace, two cards, or do I have to pick either an attack no, style? No, no, no. It is, style? it is both gotcha, of those gotcha, things. Gotcha. So no, basically, it other... is defense only comes up when you are attacked. Attack. Right. And so it is simply saying attack is all we're going to worry about now, gotcha. but you keep it until the start of your next round. So some combat styles are innately more defensive or more aggressive. And we would have other options of combat styles. In the future. It is a choice you would make because as you go up in rank, you pick lessons. And so you would decide, oh, I want a new combat style. Or you'd say, I don't really care. I'm happy with my existing sure. one. I want We always have power. four and we decide which four no. we have. Okay. Well, the point is you will have more lessons and ranks. Lessons. You gain a lesson with each rank. Mm. The thing about a combat style mm. is, in a sense, you would just stack them, and oh. whichever is the one on top is the one you're currently using. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, okay. very cool. Um, okay, so, as I said, just to walk through the way a turn works, first thing you would do is select a combat style. Mm -hmm. If that was relevant, you would decide if you're becoming enraged or not. Right. Uh, the second thing you do is play spreads. And in the course of a turn, you can play as many spreads as you basically have cards in your hand and actions you want to take. And these can be combat spreads, in which case you're attacking, or they could be things like, I want to try and climb up the wall, or I want to try and study the thing, in which case they're skill spreads. But basically, you could make three attacks if you had the cards to do it and wanted to just make a bunch of small attacks. And apart from cards that allow you to draw up, is there ever a conceivable time when you would have more than five cards yes in your hand. there is and we're going to start with that right now <laughs> this card in my hand is called the torch this serves two purposes first it tells us who is taking the current turn and basically uh the way turns are measured in combat we have two measurements of time a turn one person's action and a cycle which is in this case Around. four turns everybody taking a turn uh this tells us which phoenix is currently taking a turn, and when you are done, you pass it to another phoenix who has not acted in this cycle. Mm -hmm. In this case, well, we've conveniently just set up what our order is going to be, but in the future, if everyone was in the scene, you would basically say, 
who do you want to go next? Right. So nice. there is no concrete initiative. It is a matter of deciding, okay, you've got something really cool and you can do. Here you go. Okay. Right. But you will also see that that torch has a number of things listed on it. And these are basically interesting things that are in the room. Oh, that's and cool. so in this case, uh, as we've said, we have the Imperial Flame that you just came out of. We have a rack of weapons along this wall. We have a banner hanging from one wall. The cringing adept himself. Uh, a rack of signaling candles. And a giant stuffed bear. Now, basically, <laughs> if... When you are describing an action, when you make a combat spread, I don't want you to just be like, okay, I'm making a five, I, I'm, you know, I hit him for one wound. I want you to tell me what you're doing. And it can be more than just hitting him. You can say, I'm going to run across the room. I'm going to try and tip the bear down onto him. You know, I mean, tell me what you want to do. Mm -hmm. If I think it needs something more, I will say, well, you're really going to have to make a, a strength spread separately to do that. But generally speaking, you want to do something cool and cinematic, you can probably work into the spread. You know, you have some room there. Once per turn, you can use one of those elements. That will cross it off, but you will immediately draw a card. Furthermore, I may give you some extra bonus if I just think, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, you're, you're pushing him in a fire. Maybe he'll get set on fire. Um, and although I may set, you know, to do that, you have to at least hit him. Uh, these things don't go away. If he tips the bear down onto someone, the bear is still in the room. One of you could still use the bear in some other way, but you won't get the card. You know, it's only once per turn that you can sort of get that bonus, mm. and then that thing is sort of dead for that purpose. So among other things, you can immediately get up to six cards by thinking of something cool to do with one of those. Yeah. Otherwise, there may be other circumstances in which an effect or something would give you a card. Uh, there is no maximum hand limit. There is essentially a draw limit. So again, Shepard always draws up to six. The rest of you draw up to five. If you're over that number, just like in Gloom, you just don't draw. Okay. So, so it's also this, the extra draws that I get will also count towards the draw limit at the end of my turn. At the end of your turn, you draw until you have five cards in your oh, hand. Okay. So part of the point is there's no reason to hold on to cards if right. you can play them because at the end of your turn, you'll draw back up. And these decks are so small, we just cycle through. Yeah. And the, the main thing going back to Shepard, one of your things is every time you make a defense spread, you draw a card, mm -hmm. which means you can end up, if you're attacked a whole bunch of times and decide not to defend because I'm a phoenix, I can yeah. take it. You could end up with starting your turn with a hand of, you know, eight cards or something like so that. So when my ability says my hand size is increased by one, that doesn't mean It's really your draw limit actually is increased by one. Gotcha, gotcha. And that's, so that's bad terms. Uh, that is correct. Yeah, and I should I should change that because it is your draw limit. Um, All right. Okay, so back to Wolf. Tell me what you're doing. You burst through the flame. So I'm going to get the boring stuff out of the way first. I'm throwing down my grace. That's going to be 13 for my defense spread. Uh, you don't need to make oh. a defense spread. You make a defense, defense spread, spread when, when you are attacked. Ooh. And Neato. so keep those cards because you may yeah. want to turn one of them into strength. Okay, so uh, let's start off with my attack. Uh, I'm using strength and terrifying, which allows me to draw a card. Um, now, just to explain again how this works... Mm -hmm. Uh, so strength is one of those cards. Terrifying, as it is a trait. Right. If you can describe to me how you are making oh, a terrifying don't worry. attack. I'm just establishing. So I'm, I'm just saying that the main point is that means it does not count as one of your two cards. It is a yeah. bonus. Traits yeah. when justified always count. So you still can play another card. Is basically what I'm saying. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be flipping this grace into a strength. Okay. 
Um, now tell me what this all looks like. So what happens, I burst into the room. I immediately take out my curved knives that I have. Um, and I move, like, sort of silently. Right now, the uh, acolyte who's being held uh, by this death knight is making too much noise for me to be noticed. And I'm moving up basically between them. I'm going to stick both of my knives into either side of the death knight. And then I'm going to pick the death knight up, hoping, dread knight, excuse me, dread knight up, hoping that that's enough shock to make him drop uh, Mm -hmm. the acolyte. And then I'm going to go over to the weapon rack and all the weapons are lined Mm -hmm. point Mm -hmm. up and I'm going to slam him down on the weapons uh, from the weapon (laughs) rack. Okay. So first off, cross off uh, weapon rack. Indeed. Second, draw a card, because you're using one of the elements in the room. Now, I will go ahead and tell you that if, under normal circumstances, that is the kind of thing where I would actually make your damage brutal, because mm. you are you are doing something that clearly is going to hurt. As it turns out, with Wolf, your damage is already, already brutal. brutal. But <laughs> brutal! Uh, so... Uh, now let's go ahead and uh, and and that's terrifying. I accept your your terrifying okay. situation there. <laughs> now, uh, so we go ahead and look at what you have on the table, and what you have on the table is a total of fourteen. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing about it: your damage is brutal. Fourteen is exactly what a normal person would need to wound him once. Right. If you add one point to that. It will wound him twice because your damage is brutal. Uh, yeah, my reckless death warrior is clearly going to. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you do uh, just again a wound for each blade. You drive your blades into him and slam him against the the weapon rack, causing him to drop the. Um, uh, he does indeed drop the adept as you throw him off his feet. He slams into the weapon rack, and and again he's pierced by spears and blades. You you know killing people. This yeah. is a thing you do, and that that should kill a guy. I mean, as I said, two <laughs> wounds is pretty much what a normal person yeah. can take, I'm, and yeah. uh, that that's dead. So you're feeling pretty good about that, except um, that. He then, you know, you're like, that wasn't so bad after all. What's this at? And then he stands up. And he just stands up, shakes literally uh, a couple of blades just out of his his armor, uh, points at the adept, and just hisses this, first them, then you. And turns to look at you. His face is just hidden in the shadows of his... um, his helmet, but his eyes are gleaming red, and as he gazes at you, you just feel this this terrible pressure uh, building up in your mind, and this is an attack. Oh, so first off, did you have anything else you wanted to do, actually? So he's standing up and, and shaking them off. You can make another attack right now. You think you think... Oh, I can make another attack right now? Uh, if you haven't drawn up, yeah, sure. You got four cards. Yeah. So basically, you slam him against the... Uh, the the weapon rack and he stands up and shakes them off. What are you doing now? You got more? 
Yeah. Let's... Does it matter, by the way, like, because he says he moved him? Yeah, I mean, we would, in this case, this is not a tactically complex situation. It's sure. a small room. Yeah. So, yes, we could indeed sort of say, hey, he threw him away. He's still, but frankly, he could step back up to the adept if he if wanted. He it's, a small, sure, sure, sure. it's a small area. In a larger room, literally, we would potentially move the, the pieces around. We're talking about cards as though they were minis. Yes. Right, right. But the basic <laughs> point to that is we use the cards as though they were minis, but this is not a game where we have precise tactical positioning. It is a guideline right. to the right. uh, the rough position of things. All right. Well, I am out of standard strength cards, and so in order to damage him once, I need to be able to get at least 16. Uh, to damage him once, in your 14. case, you only need a 9. You, your damage is brutal. Okay, right. that's right. And you can turn... Right, I'm thinking of damaging him twice as damaging him right. once. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and you can turn... Anytime you make a spread, you can turn one card into a... Right. Uh, so if you had like an eight, it would only take one more point to make it up there. Or you can just decide, yeah, you're done. And, you know, um, and and move on. Well, you know what? Uh, in the interest of keeping things dynamic and interesting... Uh, I am going to attack him again. Uh, and actually, like, you, you were saying that this was an attack or whatever, with, with, that his point, um, yep. essentially. So he's glaring at you, but before he, he fully does things. I'm gonna use Death Wish. So if he's going to attack right. anybody, he's going to right, attack right, right. me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll turn this grace into a strength, bringing it up to nine. So he basically shakes off the blades, glares at you, and you start to feel, and you're just like, Mur! and throw yourself uh, yeah. at him. <laughs> and again, just to clarify to the rest of the table, you can only get that bonus card from a environmental element once per turn, so you can't like, I no, can't use the bear, you know, because otherwise one person could step in and burn sure. out the entire room right away. So nine points is enough to wound him again. You ain't gone three rounds with me yet, buddy. So, so now are you? That's a catchphrase copyrighted by Marvel Comics. So, so now are you done? Yes. Okay. So discard those cards. Yes. And now you draw up to your draw limit of five. Okay. And now he is giving you the evil eye there. So that is an attack with a value of sixteen. So here's how this works. You look at your combat style. You mm -hmm. have a defense spread. This attack in particular, often attacks actually work very much like this. You will put in a defense, and the amount of damage he does will be based on the difference mm -hmm. between the attack and the defense. Uh, in this case, this is an all-or-nothing attack. It either works or it doesn't. So basically, if you can get to a 16 with your defense, which is two cards, you'd have to be using a trait or something like mm -hmm. that as well, uh, go ahead and do it. Um, you cannot play sparks. Add those to defense sprites. Sparks you can add to attack or to skill, but not to defense. So the first question is, with your defense of two cards plus grace and any traits and things like that, can you get a 16? That is a good question. And here is the trick on this. Defense occurs outside of your turn. So when you play defense, you are throwing away the cards that you would be able to use to mm -hmm. do things on your next turn. You will right. not draw back up until the end of your turn. I will go ahead, frankly, Wolf, and say that in your case, one of the things about being bitter is that you add your wounds to your attack spreads. So... 
to a certain degree, so it's okay for you to take a wound or two. You're Wolverine. To, you're Wolverine. Uh, you know, so basically the main thing for you is assuming you could get a 16, what you'd have to ask yourself is, do I really want to? Is it really important to right. me to avoid this yeah. this attack? Or would I rather save those to do a big, a big powerful thing? And our, our endurance on our card... Mm-hmm. Fact that's our that's the threshold because we don't have a defense. I'm, so here's how it works. I your you defense number. So just look at this for a moment. Yeah, yeah. Your defense number is whatever you play. Sure. Your endurance is in your case yours four. four. Everyone else is three, uh, and then your health levels are there. Um, the important thing there. So if he's attacking at a, at a strength of 16, you said? Yes. So for me, if he was attacking me, I would have to get a 12 in defense or 13 in if defense? If you got a 13 in defense, then you would take no damage, even though you had not matched. So basically, if you match the number, sure. the attack just misses. Uh, otherwise, with many attacks, the damage is the difference between the two. However... Many creatures have like a damage ceiling. If you didn't attack at all, you wouldn't take 16 points of damage. There's a limit to how yeah. much the attack can actually do. And also, some attacks may actually have a damage multiplier, oh, which wow. means so the difference is multiplied by two. However, still, the most he can do is eight. You know, I mean, so, yeah. uh, so basically the point is one guy attacks with a 20, another guy attacks with a 12. The guy with the 20 is really hard to avoid. The guy with the 12 could have a times 3 damage multiplier. He could be like, he's the ogre who's incredibly strong, but he's pretty easy to dodge. But if he hits you, it's going to hurt. Do we know the damage multiplier going Not in? yet. Gotcha. So that's the point, is what you know is this is a 16, it's pretty hard to dodge. You don't know how serious the attack is yet. So I could, burning all the cards in my hand, potentially reach a 16. But also, this I, I, I don't think... Uh, I don't think I need to do that. I'm going to see what this guy can do and maybe use that as a basis for judgment on what to do in the rest of the game. That is an excellent idea, and you are the perfect person to do it because, as I said, wounds actually make you stronger. So of all the people at the table, you are the one who has the most gain from that uh, action. Um, So he glares at you, and you feel this terrible pressure, and you take a wound. So flip uh, one thing, and when you take a wound, draw a card. That is part of, uh, I can't remember if it's your first lesson or your combat style, but it's one of them. Um, I think it's your your combat style. It is. So uh, when you take a when you draw a card, so again, as a, a bitter part of your thing is pain, you know, your defeat makes you stronger. Uh, but you also just feel shaken and you suddenly find yourself being back in Scavia, facing a fallen, this is bringing back the memories of your past. Oh yeah, this guy's and armor now suddenly to me looks like the armor of the phoenix who struck me down. And what really lingers with you is, is you've got that, you're remembering that battle, and you're remembering your family and whatever did happen to them. You know, you left them behind and you are what we call exposed. And that means you're afraid, you're shaken, and that reduces your defense, your ability to play defense by one card. Oh, no! So in the future, you can only play one card in your defense sprites right now. And the token here, this represents the evil eye? That is indeed the evil eye. That is that he is exposed. And uh, we have just placed a token on his card. Um, And how you get rid of conditions depends from scenario to scenario. Right now, there is no clear way how, you know, this is a magical effect and you don't know how you would shake it off. Cool. Okay, so that was... Both Wolf's entire turn and the Dread Knight responding. 
Okay. So Got it. Uh, basically, creatures act between players' turns, mm. and they go every so often, you know, every couple of turns, uh, a creature will jump in. You'll find out how fast he is when he goes again. Uh, so the next to enter the room is Elegy. First off, Elegy. As a Shadow Dancer, you have the ability to just immediately decide that you are entering the room hidden. Would yes. you like to hide? I would like and, to hide. And, uh, Wolf, have you passed her the torch? Yes, I yep. indeed yep. have. Okay. So, so what are you hiding these elements. So, what I'd like to do during yes. the turn is grab the adept in, like, behind the banner sure. to question them. So, would okay. I be using the banner or the adept? Uh, either one. So it's basically part of the question is whichever one you, you use, you're taking out of play uh, for others. I'd probably be inclined to use the adept because he's trickier yeah. to use. I'm, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with the banner, uh, and the adept, you know, is, is trickier. Absolutely. Um, um, so the way that I enter into the scene, though, is the way that... Uh, I take in, it back. Oh, I think it's the banner, because the point is, this is what you are hiding behind. Behind, okay. Mm. And so you're not, if you hide behind the adept, you are not hiding, hiding the, the adept. adept which and is what so I if, to do. if your goal is to pull the adept out of range, it's definitely the banner. Okay. Uh, okay, so that means you are hidden. Um, so I enter the room as uh, you, in the short time we've known each other, are used to me entering the room, mm-hmm. which is uh, dancing between shadows, that you can only see me while focusing on that, which always looks really cool because we enter into a room that's a flame. Um, so, bam, 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 bam. Um, I come up behind the, the adept and pull him or her back into the shadows with him. me. Him, and we wind up together back behind the banner. And as he terrified, you know, looks, I'm like, "What's the scoop, bright eyes?" Okay, so mask, you right? you yeah. dart in there, you grab him, and because you uh, and you don't draw a card because right. you are using your element to hide. Yes, as long as you are hidden. Uh, you can't be attacked. Okay. In your case, uh, you would also, if you made an attack, you get to add an extra card to your spread because you're good at taking advantage of that. Cool. Uh, under the circumstances of what you're doing, normally you stop being hidden when you take an action. Here, you know, the point is it's you're quiet, you've pulled them behind, right. so you're going to stay hidden until you take an aggressive action. Okay. Um, and I will go ahead and say for now, you have also hidden the adept as long as he's staying back there. Perfect. Now, I was intending to observe through questioning him right. and observing the... Yeah. And can so, I make a skill spread for that? Uh, well, yeah. So first, let me just tell you what you sure, get right away. Absolutely. Uh, so, looking to the adept, um, uh, he's an Alonin uh, that is from the, the heartland the of the Empire, the capital. Uh, in his late teens, he's got pale skin, vividly red hair, uh, and he was just sort of sprawled on the floor where the adept, I mean, where the Dreadnought had dropped him. You sort of yank him, yank him back there. Uh, he is shaking, he is crying, Snot is running down his, his, you know, nose. Uh, and basically he does not respond to you. You know, you sort of say, what's going on? And he is, he is in, in shock. Uh, now would you like to go ahead and, uh, you know, you can try and shake him out of it. With a um, with a, a spread of some kind. So here's how this would work. It, would you like to try and do that? I would love to try to do that. That is a grace spread. Grace. So basically, running down our suits very quickly. Strength is both sort of durability and physical force. Grace is both social and physical. It is your speed and precision, but also your charisma and your force of personality. Mm-hmm. Intellect is deduction, perception, things like that. Um, so this is a grace spread. 
off the top of my head, uh, it depends what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to observe him and figure out what's wrong, you could call that an observation specialty. If you're trying to shake him out of it, I don't really think any of your specialties are particularly, uh, you know, counseling, as it were. So, right. when LG used the Phoenix banner, do, what's the bonus that you get from that? In her case, normally it would be drawing a card. Uh -huh. In her case, she has a lesson that lets her burn a environmental element to hide. Got but it, I don't get it. an additional benefit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. So I think I know what's up with him. I think he's been shaken by this scary-looking dread knight thing. Right. So you're trying to shake him out of it. So I'm going to try to uh, shake him out of so it. So that is a three-card grace spread. You can use any any traits that you know seem to apply. But only grace cards apply to the situation. Yes, and you do not get to convert cards to grace. So it is right. it is grace plus any traits you have. Mm. You would need at least a ten to even matter. Right. Uh, a 20 in all likelihood to have a significant effect. So I think that I'm not going to focus on him this turn okay. then because I've, I'm pretty sure I know what's up with him. Sure. Instead, I'm going to observe the surrounding area mm, and good. see what clues I can pick okay, up. Okay, so that then is... Uh, so observation mm -hmm. is an intellect spread. Okay. You do double duty here because, well, you... Your, the fact that it is a specialty would let you use intellect, which you already use. Right. But it also does mean you automatically get a plus 10 right off the bat. Okay. So you're starting at a base of 10. You can play up to three cards, uh, that are intellect cards. You can turn any one card into intellect. And you can use traits and such. Okay. I'm going to just use, hmm. So I'm going to end up getting a 21. Okay. You can also redraw, so you can get rid of some bad cards if you want to as well. Can I? Right? Because you can use three cards and you redraw at the end of your turn? At the end of your turn, yes. I mean, yeah, so, if, I mean, if you don't want to hold... And yeah. I forgot to mention, actually, but Wolf, like, this would have yeah. mattered for you. Uh, at the end of your turn, before you draw back up, you can also discard one mm. card if there's a card you, you know, I just don't see how this applies. Right. Sure. But right now, you have a 21. Yep. Uh, so just again... Uh, other people in theory, well, you're not actually on the scene yet. Right. So normally you would be able to add, you could spend, you know, traits, uh, you could bring oh, and sparks. If, wait, if I use one that has a trait. Yes. Uh, it doesn't count against the spread. Doesn't correct? count against the spread. You know, it adds its value. Sure. But basically, here's a couple choices. You can put three cards into this. So let's look at this trait here. The right. trait is haunted. haunted. Now, mm. there's a couple things you can do here. It is an intellect card with a value of one. Right. You could just toss it on. Sure. And it has the special effect that you draw a card whenever you add it to a spread. Right. So you could just throw it on, draw a card, be done. Mm -hmm. If you can tell me how Elegies Being Haunted is actually relevant to the situation, you can do that and still potentially add another card. Like if you drew a high intellect card, you know, you would be able to use it right away. So can you explain how Elegy Being Haunted, in any sense of that word, right. is helping her observe this situation? So... Elegy was worried about the possibility of fear things happening going in, but she's dealt with things like that in the past. And they, uh, they've always been, uh, really, really terrifying because, uh, when people are panicked, they stop giving out information. Um, so, uh, she, like, getting into this situation, and as soon as she saw the sniveling acolyte was like, crap. Um, so, uh, um, she's like, frantically looking around trying to figure out point of access or entrance and uh, how the other acolyte left, desperately trying to piece together this story with the sense and, of And because she sort of knows about ghosts and spirits and right. things, she's sort of looking for that specifically, is what yep. you're saying. Okay, so... 
That gets added on again as a trade. It doesn't count towards your limit, and as yeah. uh, the effect, I you immediately draw, draw a card. And then, hmm. I think we missed something, by the way. Go back to uh, being terrifying. You were terrifying. Find yes. that terrifying card. What is the effect of uh, terrifying? That, that allowed me to draw see. a card, but yeah. I think it also did something oh, else. Oh, you may burn one spark to stun the target. Would you like to do that? I already burned a spark. Okay, and so that happened in the past, so we'll leave it. If at. you burn, you know, if you stunned him, just so you know, mm -hmm. uh, basically that would lower his his values for one action. Oh, so uh, have, honestly, now that he's already acted and yeah, stuff, I mean, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. good to say, well, you didn't do it. Yeah. But I'm saying you want to read those abilities because uh, they may have some sort of effect. In particular, Haunted, for example, if you used it in a defense spread, if right. you were attacked, you could make I could make the target uh, Okay, so did you draw something that you want to add to the spread? You're no. currently at 22. Yeah, that's, I, I, was, I was hoping for something, but it didn't happen, okay. so I'm at 22. Uh, here is what you get. Um, looking over the room. Um, so first off... Uh, so your total was 22. So the room itself, uh, one thing you immediately notice is that it's made of black stone, hmm. but it is literally made of a black stone. That oh, there's no one. blocks. Okay. You know, it's it's as if it was just sort of molded it's out of it. Cool. Um, and the walls are sort of slightly uneven, just sort of uh, undulating, and has a sort of strange, it's it's polished, it has a strange effect when you look at it. You feel that part of why they put around the trophies and hung the tapestries and such is essentially to not have to look at the walls. Okay. Um, now, what you do get beyond that is just studying the situation. Uh, it does look, you can piece together that clearly what happened here is the adept came into the room, lit the candles, and then this creature came in and grabbed him. Right. Um, and can I tell from where he entered? Uh, yeah, there's only one ex entrance okay. to this chamber, and he clearly walked in. The The candles are in the corner by the door, and okay. he clearly walked in and grabbed him, and that's when Wolf came in. Uh, you also do recognize that, well, this Dread Knight is, is likely uh, one of the Fallen. Uh, you know, most people say that they're, they're just some sort of um, story. Well, what you specifically recall... Now, since you already have been thinking about this, and you knew the stories of the Harvester of Fear, is that you do recall something about Dread Knights, and they're not actually fallen. You think that the Harvester sort of makes them mm -hmm. out of people's fears. But this fits right in that story, cool. in other words. Um, you don't really remember much else about them, but you know, you know, that's right. He would, he would make these, these scary, uh, scary creatures. Uh, do you have anything else you wish to do this turn? This turn? You're still hidden right now. Uh, you have confirmed that the, the adept is definitely supernaturally shaken. Uh, and you could take another action if you have something you want to do with your cards. Otherwise, if you choose not to, you can discard one card. You would then draw up. And because you are shrouded, part of your first lesson is after you have drawn, you may throw away a card and draw another one. Oh, cool. You have a little more versatility in your... Uh, abilities. Right. Um, so no, I think I've hidden the acolyte. I'm right. in a position to in the future get information from him, so I'm where I want to be. I will draw up and then possibly discard. Okay. Next in is Shepard. Shepard, you come into the scene. You mm -hmm. don't see Elegy around, but that's nothing uh, unusual about that. Innocence. 
you don't see the innocent. That is true. Gotcha. Uh, and what you immediately see is Wolf over by the weapon rack, uh, fighting this, this creature who, again, he's, he's sort of gutted him and, uh, sort of thrown him onto spears and such, but he's still standing there looking strong in front. Where do I see the Imperial Flame in this room? Uh, right behind you. You it's, just stepped out of it. I stepped out of it? And yes. what is the Imperial Flame? Is it like a magical flame? It is like a magical flame. So it is warm, but it does not actually consume, uh, well, actually, I take that back. It's a flame. You know, okay. it will hurt something if you throw it into it. Great. Um, uh, and so that is a, a thing you could do. Um, it is sustained by, just, just for story purposes, it is on a hearth of a material called Pyrean steel, which is the same material Our your weapons. talons are made out of. It is basically the magically resonant, uh, mineral in the world. Perfect. And the point is, there are no logs. There is nothing. What is keeping it burning is the flame keeper's spirit, but it is something that a normal person, you know, you stick your hand in it, you'll get burned. Okay. Um, I, I want to know, this is what I want to do. I want to, as I step in the room, I have this like a uh, long walking stick that yep. is also my like f- fighting weapon. Um, I want to like put my weapon into the flame and try to like use the energy of the flame sure. to yep. imbue my weapon. Sure. Uh, okay. So yeah, so I will, I'll stick my, um, weapon into the flame and kind of imbue it and that's using the flame. Yes. So okay. what that will do first off sure. is that will give you a card. Mm-hmm. So draw a card immediately. Furthermore, again, because this is the kind of thing that makes sense. So it's not going to last. You know, you sort of are going to drag it through the flame, charge it up. But you know, once you hit somebody, it is going to dissipate. dissipate. But for this round, I'm going to make your attacks brutal, okay. which again means you round up for, you know, so nine will get you one wound, 16 will get you two. Um, so yeah, so then I will step to the Dread Knight. Uh, Just slide yourself in. Yeah. Foul creature, stay away from this place. And I'm going to hit him. Um, uh, so yeah, I want to try to um, use this. Now, if I use a skill in an attack spread... It doesn't count towards the Correct. spread. Correct. So specialties only apply to skill spreads, combat style. So basically, when you are making a combat, you know, if you're trying to hit somebody, it's an attack spread. You're trying to avoid an attack, it's a defense spread. Anything else is a skill spread. Uh, combat style governs attack and defense. Specialty governs skill. Okay, great. Um, so I think I'm going to try this, and uh, what I want to... Um, I want to try to get between... Uh, um, you, because you're, you've got the evil eye on you. Are you marked in any way by that evil eye, or is that? No, no, he's just shaken. You can see, but you've never really shaken. seen Wolf look afraid before, right. and he looks shaken, so that's unusual. Um, First off, I'm gonna go ahead and say, stepping in between Wolf and all of that, it is clearly an honorable action. Yeah. So again, honorable is a trait. So that is not gonna count as one of your two cards in your spread. Great. Very cool. Uh, so yeah, I, I'll say, you know, you will face me, monster. And I will draw this, and I'll use this as a strength card. Okay. And I'm also going to burn a spark when I use this. Uh, I burn one spark and add my current health level to the value of the card, and the target must attack me. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, Your current health levels are five. So first off, we've got five from the trade itself, Mm -hmm. plus five for uh, your health levels. That's ten, fifteen, twenty-one. So, boom. So it will Uh, die. Let's okay, hold sure. that thought. So, uh, <laughs> it should die. So, again, describe this. You've got your burning flame. You're stepping in between them. What do you do? You know, what does this look like? So, um, uh, 
this monster, basically, and this is, uh, just had stared him down, making yep, yep. Sh- I came into the room, uh, charged up my staff, kind of charged in between them, and I want to take my walking stick and basically plunge it right into its, like, right into his of face. Helmet. Yeah. Um, and then kind of, like, uh, keep pushing in right. as I'm, like, burning away whatever is inside the creature. Right. So you do that. The light of the flame will surely burn away this darkness. Thematically, I want to push from and... the other side. <laughs> yeah, and my, my eyes as well, mm-hmm. like, the whiteness of my eyes is also burning as I'm, like, pushing this the flame. And so he's staggering back as you push him forward, and uh, he finally sort of falls back a little, uh, but he reaches out as he is clearly staggering, and the adept sort of stumbles out mm. as if he's pulled from behind the the banner, and it's like he's screaming, except that no sound is coming out. Instead, just this black, this darkness is pouring out of his mouth, and then suddenly explodes across the room. <laughs> and that is an attack against all of you, okay. with a value of 12, and that is interrupting your turn uh, to this. First off, you've been attacked. Draw a card. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, any of you, this is, again, an all or nothing. Either... Oh, and did you do your whole drawing back up thing? Yes. Okay. Uh, and did you you do your discard and yes. draw if you wanted? Okay. So, this is an attack against everyone out here. It is an all or nothing. Again, if you can't make a 12... Don't defend at all, and don't forget, Wolf, you can only play one card in defense spreads, oh, other than traits right. and stuff. Do we, you are we, exposed. We would take our endurance into account. So if I can make an, a nine, my endurance. You don't, well, what I'm saying is endurance is about taking damage. Sure. Some attacks may do something other oh, than damage. I understand. Right, so um, it doesn't matter that I'm shrouded, because it's like a... And that's the point. You're hidden, but yes. it's just going... Boom, it's you. And this is not exposing you from being hidden. Cool. It is just an attack, and you dodging is not going to... This is really, I will go ahead and say, this is really a sort of psychic attack. It is striking you physically, and you could technically, like, jump over it or something, but largely this is about you just resisting it and overcoming it with the force of your personality. So endurance will only affect, like, physical damage, kind of? It depends on the attack, but often. Okay. I will go ahead and say, in this particular instance, your endurance is not going to affect this. So, so 12 would be what we have to hit. So you are just shaking it off. You're not worried about this. Okay. So Elegy is hidden. It washes over you, but you've dealt with sort of fear and creepy spirit things, right. and you just avoid it. Wolf. <laughs> I do not have the ability to avoid this. Okay. Uh, uh, and Shepard. Um, I don't believe that I have... The ability to... Well, so it would basically be you can play up to two grace cards, and if you played grace cards with a total of uh, 12 or better, you would avoid it. Okay, then I do not. Okay, so uh, here's the thing. Wolf, you take a wound. Excellent. You would be exposed, except you're already exposed. Now, yes? I have a question. So if I... Well, this this uh, grace ability says draw a card, you may use this card in a spread. Um... If I can come up with a reason that I can make it look easy, right. I would be able to... That is exactly right. So, for spread. example, you make a defense spread, and you say, and I am shaking this fear off so, you know, with such confidence, the darkness washes over me, and I'm like, whatever, darkness. <laughs> Give me your best shot. I can take it. Sure. Uh, then that would be an example of using makes it look easy. Can I use it first while I'm making my... Absolutely. See if I draw? So, in other words, what you say is, I'm making a defense spread. 
First of all, I'm making it look easy. So it's not even counting towards your spread yet because Great. it is a bonus. But you have a defense value of one right now. Great. And go ahead and draw another card. Yeah, so what I'll say for making it look easy is uh, when that darkness spills out, I will, like, remove my staff from him and then, like, shield it in front of me right. as the darkness. You're going like... to drive the darkness away with the light of the, the flame. Perfect. And then I will come up with... Uh, well, boom! Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Pow. So, that's no. exactly what you need. That's a twelve. Discard those cards. You evade it. Now, so you do in fact make it look easy. Now, I will point out one thing: if you had not avoided it, you would have taken a wound. Just calling out one of the most distinctive features of the Durant is that any time you are hurt, taking one or more wounds, you can burn two sparks to reduce the damage by one wound. So. If you had been hit, you would have been exposed, and yep. there would have been no way around that. But you could have avoided the wound by paying mm. two sparks. And since all of this card stuff is happening on my turn, I yes. still get to draw up. Absolutely, afterwards. absolutely. Uh, so there's really no reason not to, you know, other than let me what you can do. So the darkness spills over all of you. Wolf, you are even more shaken and having difficulty focusing. You fight it off. You feel it as a spiritual presence. You just the flame deflects it. You have no fear. Uh, however. When all that clears, you know, it is a burst of darkness. Oh, he is standing there looking as strong as ever and laughing at you. <laughs> five five new spark tokens just went down on the Dread Knight. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now, first off, uh, it is still your turn. You may still act. I will note that because you used Honorable, he still will have to attack you. You know, that effect still lasts. He's going to have to make his next attack against you. Gotcha. Um, so I can technically make another attack. Yes, you can. Uh, if I have the cards to do that it. That is absolutely right. Um, or take some other action if there was something else you wanted to do. But I would have to deal him 14 as a base Your level. damage is still brutal this round. I said that it's because right. of the flame, so you would have to deal 9. So you would okay, have so to get a total of 9 to hurt him at all. Is this only once per turn or once per attack? Once per spread. Once per spread, perfect. Okay, so I will... Um, hit him one more time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so basically I plunged it out, I yep. blocked that That's darkness exactly that right. came at me, and then this time I will, uh, as he like regenerates back his health, um, I want to <laughs> kind of like use my staff to like uh, push his weapons aside and then like stab him into the chest with it, that, that okay. energy. Alright, so you do that, and, and again we get one wound. Mm -hmm. um, and But he's still looking... Pretty strong, okay. you know. It's a it's a little disheartening because you know that was a, a pretty amazing attack you did against him, and he's he's back. And like the glowingness of my staff is kind of. And now the point is, basically, you drive it into him, you hold it up against the darkness, and it does sort of weaken it. And this final blow does uh, does draw it down. There's okay. a limit to how long uh, it could last. And, and now draw up. you draw up. If you wanted to discard that last card before you draw, you could. No, uh, but you will draw until you have six cards in your case. And now it's time for him to go. And, hey, I wonder who he's going to attack. <laughs> um, so uh, he, in fact, has no choice. So in your case, he's not bothering with the, the scary stare. You know, we've seen. You can shake that kind of thing off. First off, uh, so he's just draws his own sword, which is a long, jagged blade. Um... And, you know, it's rusty. It makes you immediately sort of think, I don't want to get hit by that. I can tend to, you know, it's just, yeah. uh, it's a scary sword and lashes you with tremendous speed. Because uh, you're Durant, if you've drawn, hey, you've just been attacked. Draw a card. Okay. 
Uh, and uh, this is an attack with a value of 16. And these are now, all grace cards. Now, in this case, so uh, this is an attack with a value of 16. This is a normal sort of attack. So in this case, for example, getting a 15 or a 14, you know, might be sufficient because he will be applying his damage against your endurance. Okay. Every four points he gets. But you don't know. He might have a damage multiplier. You know, I'm, what I'm saying, though, is... In this case, it is better to play something than nothing. Sure. Um, even if you can't get the full value. So he's attacking with a strength of 16? Correct. Okay. You can play. You look to your defense style. Mm -hmm. I believe it is two grace cards. Yes. Um, or if I have other cards that have traits or traits things on like them, that. Absolutely. Well. Traits are always a bonus. Um, okay, so I've got a, a base of 8 here. Which is good. And... Um, I'm going to use this as just a straight grace card, so I don't have to use the inspire. That is correct. Uh, so, yes. And if you were using it otherwise, you would explain how is this somehow inspiring. In this case, nah, you know, it's a two grace. So okay. you've just got a ten of grace on the table. And if I want to use anything else uh, to, to boost my defense, because I have a four and endurance, so if I can get two more, um, I can maybe stave off any damage that would come at me? Uh, that is true, yes. Because it would be 12 minus 4, and that's 16. Yeah, I mean, that's the point, is it is true. In all likelihood, you're still taking at least one wound now because there's a difference of 4. I'll probably just leave this then because okay. everything else I like is strength. And The main thing is it's entirely possible that, you know, some creatures that could do a lot of damage, it could be that if you lay down, uh, you know, 6, he can do 10 points of damage to you. Yeah. And, you know, it's still divided by your endurance, but, again, often something is better than nothing. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. I'll, so you're I'll gonna lay go down 10? 10, yeah. All right. Uh, he drags the blade across your chest, uh, deeply gashing uh, through your ribs, and it deals one wound to you. Okay. And now, because you're you, you can shake that off if you want. I will shake it off. I'll burn the two sparks. I will note that anyone else would have taken at least two wounds in that cir circumstance, but you are adurant, so you are tough. Um, and like that. And unfortunately, again, Mandrake coming last means that, hey, he couldn't throw something into your defense spread or something like that. But! Right. But! Uh, now that he has made his attack, enter the Mandrake. <laughs> Now, first off, it's just Mandrake. as the Mandrake. soon the Mandrake, uh, Mandrake, he is like Please, the height the Mandrake of my father. I just Mandrake. <laughs> now, first off, as soon as Mandrake enters the scene, and it is again sad for us that he was on an island far away before this, because this would have been useful. He has an ability called Devoted Bond. Devoted Bond does two useful things. One is that any of you can telepathically send Mandrake a message. Oh, that's useful. It costs him a spark. Oh. Uh, you uh, can, in what fact, Mandrake? <laughs> Mandrake with annoying status <laughs> updates. Okay. Uh, you can send him a telepathic uh, message. He can reply for free. But, uh, but yes. So you're saying every time I uh, read the comments, a little part of me dies? Yes. He gets charged for the text <laughs> messages <laughs> we send. I will note that there is a durant ability that is similar, but you pay to talk to other people. The devoted ability is you. he pays no, for the right. <laughs> However, the other effect of this is as soon as he's around and there is battle, we're putting out this little devoted bond with five sparks on it. Um, and in fact, we're just going to put them on Mandrake because, okay. you know, that's just kind of fun. It's emphasizing that this is coming from him. So he's got these five sparks on him. And on your turn, 
anyone, including you, mm-hmm. uh, can take one of these either just to take and keep as a spark. If okay. you've used more than your, you know, some of your 12 sparks, you can just get one back. Or you can discard it to draw a new card. So, like, right now, if you wanted, you could just get an extra card. You can only do that once per turn. These are going to go away at the end of the fight, so there's no reason not to Is it each effect them. once per turn or one of these points per one turn? One of these points okay. per turn. So, a card or a spark. And gotcha. that's five per battle. Uh, yes, it is basically one per Phoenix plus cool. half his rank. Yeah. Cool. Oh, awesome. Uh, so a lot of these effects, you know, Mandrake in particular, as he becomes, as he goes up in rank, he will be able to add more to other people's spreads. You know, this is, as I said, the sort of Kingmaker build where right. you have right. a greater ability to influence other things. Um, so you step into the scene, you see, uh, well, you know, Shepard locked in combat with this Dread Knight. You can see now the uh, the adept has stumbled out and is sort of on his knees, clearly distraught. Uh, perhaps with still... Is he wounded? is not physically wounded. You may still see a little of this dark mist sort of drifting out of his mouth. Uh-huh. Uh, so clearly there's something spiritual going on. And, and it's not hard, especially with Elegy having uh, sort of seen it, to see that he's clearly, you know, there's clearly a supernatural effect that is, is sure. troubling him. Um, and the Dread Knight is a little hurt, but not as much as you'd expect with the kind of beaten up With you're the seeing on these people. Blade sticking out of him and the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's actually completely healed up, actually. Like the original oh. wounds put on him, you don't even see them. Yeah. You know, but you see all, bro- all those spears and whatnot are healed inside. Yeah, nice. you see broken spears. <laughs> he seems fine. Uh, so first off, would you like to take a card? Yes. Okay. Yes. I will do that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, how many traits can somebody use on a spread? As many as you can justify. Well, okay then. So uh, uh, I'm going to uh, start by using the, one of the uh, uh, the descriptors here on the torch, mm-hmm. um, because uh, w- when we did our questionnaire here at the beginning, I uh, I, I selected a uh, a cloak with uh, that was a uh, made out of a bear with a bear's head and everything mm. on it. Oh yeah. Um, so the 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 flame at the center of the room. You know, flickers like a candle in a breeze. So it, go, it like for a moment, it, it seems to have gone out, and then it just kind of comes back on, just as like as if a, a wind struck it from behind. Mm-hmm. And in that moment of darkness, that flash of shadow, uh, 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 a, it's like a second big taxidermy bear appears in the room. They're both standing next mm-hmm. to each other, side by side. Um, and then uh, one of them comes striding forward and throws the the bear head back off like a hood, um, uh, uh, revealing Mandrake, who strides forward towards the uh, dread knight. Um, and I, uh, I pull out or push out uh, one bare hand towards him, and I say, uh, "Well, and I have because between tradition and spirits and stuff, mm-hmm. do I know what, like the, do I interpret the same thing? This is related to the fallen." Okay, so is- here's what I'd say right off the bat: you would say yes, he is related to the fallen. If you were to do a tradition skill spread, it could be that there is more specific information you could get about it. But yes, you are you are certainly justified in casually recognizing he's he's one of the fallen somehow. So cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna run off just that piece of information then first, okay. um, because I've seen this before. I've yes, you the, have. Uh, intellect card. This is I've seen this before. That's my trait. Um, so I have some sense as to what this dread knight is or what the bounds of its power and, and obedience and, and so forth are. 
Um, and I know kind of how to address it. Not necessarily like, you know, its name or anything, but I know like uh, uh, so, what the proper terminology is to use to... So I will also go ahead and say right away, yeah. because you have seen this before, even though you didn't have the specific thing, you certainly do recognize, you you get that little thing of, oh, this is a servant of the Harvester of Fear formed out of fear. Right. You know, that that immediately you recognize and, as you say, know what you would say to such a thing. Great. Go okay. ahead. Um, and so with that... It's not a movie trailer voice, but I'm gonna have trouble doing it because I'm I'm still getting over this cold. But it's this um it's a much more it's not you know like grandfatherly, so it's like exactly at the intersection of Saruman and Gandalf as far as that voice, right? And that it's deep and it's and it's but it's not gruff. It's this sort of uh, uh gentler mm-hmm. uh, voice for the most part. And probably I'm thinking the three of you have never heard Mandrake speak like in uh uh with vitriol or with this kind yes. of like force and authority to oh. somebody. He's usually very friendly and, and kind of supportive and, and almost nurturing. Um, he's very grandfatherly ordinarily, and now he's kind of gone into, you know... Angry grandfather. Christ- Christopher Lee mode, yeah. yeah. Um, and he says, uh, uh, Creature, why have you come here, and why are you hurting these people? You will obey me. You will answer my questions. You will do as I say. Uh, in accordance with the pact that we make here and now, making you my servant and not your masters, because I am also a negotiator. Oh, and you will service us this day until right. such time as we decide when you die. All right. Uh, I give you two choices here. Okay. Both of those apply. Uh, but there is basically the question of, do you want to do this as an attack? And you are essentially attacking him by sort of compelling his spirit, you know, mm-hmm. reducing him to zero health in this circumstance would mean, oh, I have defeated him in this way, or are you trying to do this as a skill spread, which is essentially I am making a demand? Uh, w- what is the best result I can get from a skill spread in this case? Like, I want to be harder. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying is doing it as an attack and just saying, well, this is the effect. I'm not trying to kill him. I'm trying to, to I- compel him. That's a perfectly solid rationale for an attack under these circumstances. Gotcha. That would be the most likely to be absolutely concretely, hey, if you can reduce him down that way, I'll buy that. Uh, as a, a grace spread, which is what it would be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that would be, you'd have to get a pretty big spread to, you know, to buy that. Otherwise, it might be like, I might say, oh, he's stunned, you know, he's like, okay. you know. Uh, so if I want to compel him, like, I want I want this Dread Knight to either, to speak to me, to tell me the truth about what right. it's here for, or even to, for a certain amount of time. Essentially, this is a psychic attack, and you are trying to defeat him. So mm. uh, I would I would make it still an attack spread. But like I say, if you did it as a skill spread and made a really hugely impressive skill spread, I might, you know, I might have it work. You know, well, because, just have to because be my impressive. my specialties are spirits, tradition, and diplomacy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it as a skill spread. Well, and I will also in, in this case, yeah. as we are doing it as a skill spread, this is a case where I will actually give you bonuses for both those cards. Great. So both those cards are going to be worth plus five. Because they nice. both clearly apply to what you were trying to do. Awesome. So in other words, you have a base of five yep. plus uh, five for each of them. So we're at a base of 15 okay. plus right, a specialty. Now, in the case of specialties, specialties don't stack, even though you're right. right. All you're of these add. Right. So, does, so, do you so, have so a specialty or not? Applying so that is another right. 10. So we are okay. up to 25. Right. Oh, shoot. You now get to right. play... Uh, up to three grace cards, and you can, of course, turn one card into grace. So oh, if you had an intellect, you can yeah. make it grace. Right. So that's 25 right now? Yep. Okay, so uh, let's see, that's 35, 40. Oof. All right. 
We'll do. Uh, and basically, unless you can Damn. get to 50, 40 is pretty what much... Is the, what is the bear doing for me right We're now? Gonna remember the, bear, the bear will let you draw a card. Did you, but no, did I did. You I take did, it I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, are you sure you did? This is my hand Because right now. you drew a card from your bond. Insane. I don't think you did. That's if you oh, have six right. cards, I think you have another card. I drew the one from the bond. So does that apply? Do you want to add? Because again, if you can get to 50, you know... There is no question that if you get to 50, you've got this guy in your in your back pocket. 40 is pretty amazing, but I'm just saying. You're going to hold on 40? Um, so, but I, that's three cards. Can I play another card? Uh, not unless it's a trait. But I'm saying I'm, I'm willing to let you, because you oh, are one card down, I'm willing to let you swap that one, one Let me do that one. Okay, so first off, that is now put us up another four. So we're at 44. As I said, higher is always better. Put in right. six sparks. Put in six sparks. Uh, <laughs> I'll do it. No, well, let's see what we got. Yeah, like, uh, 44. Then, so heart of the wing. Yeah. That's a trait, and I'm not... So that card doesn't count. So that's right? easy. That yeah. that because the the heart of the wing. This is a great card. Is always just you know again it is a trait that essentially is a freebie because what it is is he is drawing on all your strength to do this. So oh, he doesn't even really have to justify it. It's he's just saying I'm calling it in. We all just so have to hold hands. It is <laughs> a a bonus in. So you know essentially if you weren't burning through all your stuff, I would say hey you don't even have to play all these cards. But right. why not? Right. Uh, so cool you were at a forty four. Uh huh. This makes it a 45, but the point of Heart of the Wing is anyone can else in the wing can burn one spark to add three to his total. He's at 49, 50 is the blowing the roof off it. Right. So any one of you. Done. Boom. Easy. I'm All mad right. at this thing. Okay, awesome. so here is what happens. You come in, you make your speech, and he just, you basically have him psychically sort of by the throat. You know, you understand that especially this creature, he isn't even one of the fallen. He is literally fears woven into this mm-hmm, shape. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you know, he is compelled to service by the harvester and you were just sort of yanking his leash and just sort of bringing him right to heel. You you know spirits and you know what you're doing. Uh, and that, frankly, is enough to uh, to take him off the table. Uh, he was, what you basically know is he had put a leash onto the, uh, the adept, you know, and uh-huh. you just snap that connection. And the adept is sort of shaking, what, what's going on? Um, but you have basically completely cowed him. Here's what you feel. You are not going to actually be able to make him, like, pal around with you and, uh, uh, you know, help <laughs> you. <laughs> it is essentially, you have him on the chain as soon as you let him go, he's basically just going to disperse. You okay. know, that basically it's, he's being held together. And at the moment, as long as you are consciously holding him there, you are holding him together and making him, compelling him. The moment you let go of that, he's just going to fall apart, essentially. Okay. okay. Uh, but first off, this ends the combat. So we are dropping out of torch time, as it were. Um... And, uh, so you, you basically have him sort of held, you can feel this sort of presence. Uh, he's a creature of limited intellect. You know, he really mm-hmm. is sort of a thing forged into a shape and thrown out to do the bidding of a more powerful thing. But he has a, you know, functional sort of personality and concept. So what do you want from him? Uh, well, first things first, I want to know what his target is. Okay. Um, so, give that to me just a little bit of... Sure. Of, um, I, uh, 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 literally with one hand in a fist as if I'm 
gripping some kind of spiritual chain, right? That I've that I'm got him bound. Um, I step uh, uh, up to him, and I think that even though uh, uh, Mandrick is uh, is tall, the Dread Knight's taller. Yeah. We can so when I get up to him and I'm looking up out. into the uh, the gap in the armor, right, and my face is kind of lit by the what's left of the feeble light from his eyes. Um, and the smoke that's coming out under his helmet from the staff that's gone in there and everything. The other um, thing, actually, I'll throw yeah, out yeah. very quickly is also now that you have yanked control and pulled his power away from the uh, the, the adept, he also becomes less impressive. Okay. It's like he just sort of drops. He's a sort of scrawnier, pale shape. His armor is rusted and more piecemeal. And you realize he was sort of cloaking himself in mm-hmm. the adept sphere, and you've just mm-hmm. torn that away from nice. him. Nice. Okay. Uh, so so there I, you are. I think that now Mandrick is just is just a bit taller, especially mm-hmm. as the, mm-hmm. the Dread Knight is sort of sunken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when uh, when I step up with one hand still in the fist, I take the helmet. Is he still armored, right? He's still armored, okay. but again, it's it's more it's piecemeal, piecemeal, and his and face is now sort of visible as this just sort of pale, you know, shrunken okay. thing. Using the, like, gri- gripping his uh, mm-hmm. helmet between my thumb and forefinger with the other hand, I raise his head towards mine, and I say, uh, uh, come now, my son. Tell me why you are here. And and he is you are locking gazes with him, but where his gaze was glowy and terrifying, mm. you know, to you it is just sort of watery and weak and uh and he doesn't actually speak as such. It is mm-hmm. you lock your gaze with him and you just sort of know. He is just sort of letting go of his uh his feelings and you sort of have this connection that lets you realize that essentially the he is a servant of the harvester of, of fear, the the fallen lord who once ruled this this mm-hmm. uh, particular region, uh, and he's basically come back and is just wanting to reclaim his territory. That he is doing what he did before. Of essentially, he has taken the other people of the area prisoner, and he is going to strip their fears out of them and unleash them upon the land. Right. Which, if he can do. You know, that is, again, going to be both things like the Dread Knight, but even just raw fears just running around consuming right. anything they they touch. Uh, and that basically, they just showed up. They're here right now, and that's what's going on downstairs. You know, and, and basically, he was just sent, find anyone else and bring them down here. You know, bring them to me. They are they are gathering all the, the people that they could find. And the Harvester is downstairs right now, sucking their fears out. You do not need to know fear any longer, my son. Lead us to your master, and I will let you go. Um, I mean, if it's again, enough, you can point me the way. Then well, I'll that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is again, he can't uh, sort of literally do it, but he, right. he sort of looks at you, and again, you sort of know. It's uh, first off, you know from him this was the harvester's citadel. Mm-hmm. That this, he built this area himself and the, the phoenixes took him away from it. And you have this sort of sense of it is just out the hall, down the stair, you know, sort of spiraling around that there is just a grand hall and that that is where he is right now. Got you it. know, so he sort of shows you the way. Right. And you kind feel of a, a sense of release of, of that he does just let him go. Let him, let him be done with this. You know, he doesn't want to be fear. Uh, so, you but know, he's grateful I, at that, that possibility. Real quick, just, and it's mostly cosmetic, but before I let him go, I'm curious, the first lesson that I have here, do I need to be in combat to use that kind of thing, or can I just do... Take his wound away? Not his wound, but... To the concept? Uh, no, 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 you it, can it, do it, that it, out of... Okay, uh, in terms of taking wounds from people, uh, okay. you can take them away. And similarly, it's give a wound to an enemy. Technically, you could take a wound from her and give mm. it to him. You know, I mean, if, if you wanted to do right, that, right, right. it doesn't have to be an attack. 
So what I'm going to do is, uh, 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 I will thank him. Mostly, again, with eyes. Uh, with sort right. of eye contact. Yeah, and you were in connection. Yeah. I love it if there's no talking going on here. It's just been <laughs> it's intense just eye contact. That is actually pretty much what yeah. it is. is I mean, I feel that around. is the case, is that you don't, you know, you might be speaking, but you may not be, because you were just sort of right. grilling the poor, terrified acolyte. He always gets right. like this. So, so it's I, um, Maserat. Uh, 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 I let go of the helmet with the other hand, and then I uh, uh, release the hand that's been uh, uh, balled into a fist this whole time, um, and let him dissipate as my... <sighs> As my as the tension comes out of my grip, um, at which point that I turn and I put my hand on Wolf and I say, "It's that's done, uh, my son. No need for fear any longer. There is nothing here that is beyond your ability." And I will take his two wounds. Okay. I don't I feel will, fear anymore. I just I remember when I used to be is, alive. I'll say take one of those wounds, and the other one I'm going to let you actually as a sort of freebie because of what you're doing. So the other one goes away. He he removes oh, both you're your wounds, but I'm saying you only take one of them. You were you pass one of them sort of to the. What if I want both of them? Oh, then you can have then I can dole them out. Oh no, you can have them. Okay, I'm just saying that was gotcha. an option. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, the lecture reply would totally take you up on that. But yeah, one shot, um, I'd be able to deal this out. <laughs> yeah. So um, he dissolves into the same sort of darkness that came out of the the adept before, but sure. it sort of fades. It's not so dark. It just sort of dissipates. And you feel that you. Would I'm be picturing it was like when, when, when you see ink go into water, right? Exactly. It's just, it's just like reverse almost. It's like backwards yep. into water. Nice. Uh, the Adept is uh, shaken, but he is coming out of it. Well, heroes, I certainly hope you enjoyed our first week of Phoenix. We'll be back with the conclusion next week. If you like this game, please head over to the link in the show notes and back it on Kickstarter. Both JPC and I fell in love with this game, and we are so excited to play it as soon as it gets published. If you like what we did here, be sure to head over to OneShotPodcast.com to check out the rest of the OneShot archives. We've featured dozens of systems, including popular titles like Star Wars Edge of the Empire, cult classics like Inspectors, and brand new systems like Mark Richardson's Headspace. You can find that along with our sister podcast campaign at OneShotPodcast.com. Be sure to follow OneShot on Twitter at OneShotRPG, Tumblr at OneShotPodcast.tumblr.com, Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod, or just look us up on Google+. One Shot is a joint production between Paracosm Press and Peaches and Hot Sauce. Peaches and Hot Sauce is a Chicago-based comedy network with tons of great articles, videos, and podcasts for you to enjoy at peachesandhotsauce.com. I recommend the Overshare podcast. Finally, that music which is right now swelling up over my voice is Be Your Own Pet with Adventure, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes. I can't do it.